Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 27 of True Cult Pop. It is the music podcast for all you fans of the music. You love the music, don't you? It's me, Stephen Hill. I'm here, joined as ever by my good friend and compadre, Mr. Sam Slight. Sam! Here he is. It's the bloody, bloody the other one. It is. It's the other one. There he is. And listen to this. Can you hear this, Sam? I'm going to put my microphone. You hear that? Yeah. That's the sound of my new kitchen. Oh, radiating with its avocado green hue. <laughs> it actually, your man's coming back. Darren, the guy who I was talking about listening to ACDC Highway man. to Hell last week. Yeah, ACDC man. He's coming back on Monday to tile it. Which won't take long, I wouldn't imagine, since he's been very good. Mm. Um, thanks for all of your support throughout this hard time when I was living in basically on a fucking building site I um got a call from him on Friday just before they finished it he's like we're nearly done but we've just checked your plumbing and we've it's basically oh. I don't know how you haven't flooded your fucking house because he pulled something out like something from the Titanic <laughs> was like holding my plumbing together so thank god so you so you given it all last week like oh you're so middle class with your new kitchen Oh, we needed it. I like take say it back. Like when it rains, oh, we need it. Yeah, mate, my, my house would have flooded. Yeah, Also, man. the electricity, but the fucking fuse box I had was so old that he said, if your uh, house had an electrical fire and burnt down, your fuse box is so old that your home insurance wouldn't have covered it. Yeah. <laughs> fucking yeah. hell. It has been a weird yeah. year, hasn't it? <laughs> it has been a weird year. Anyway, it's happened now. I, I promise I'll never mention it again till I get the bathroom Until done. Next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Okay, it's a big... Week of reviews on this week's show. We're doing lots of reviews. We're going to be pumping ourselves full of exciting reviews. We're going to be sliding into Dave Gahan and Martin Gore's DMs Ooh. as we take on the new Depeche Mode album. Joining the Miley High Club with Miss Cyrus's latest release. Um, counting the ways in which we love the 100 Gex. <laughs> Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia scaring the hose with their debut collaboration album, We'll be staring directly into the sun with Barry Tomorrow's seventh album. Chewing over but not consuming the new Eve Tumor album. Hoping Ohms don't have any dry rot on their new record. And Sam, I am going to make you listen to an old 90s punk band that I like. Sammy Am, obviously. Do you like that? That, you like that was, little thing? That was excellent. That was radio it was, quality. It was radio quality. I tell you what, I listened to the Not The Top 20 podcast, uh, which is a podcast about the English Football League. Right. And uh, every week, their presenter, Ali Maxwell, who I think is really, really good. He's a, a better podcast host than even than me. Bloody hell. High praise You can indeed. believe it. He, he's even better than Joe Rogan. Can you <laughs> well, believe it? Yeah, that I can. Yes, believe, yes. You, can, you can. He's really good. And every week, he does this brilliant sort of like very wordy, poetic uh descriptor of all the stuff that's happened in the English Football League using um loads of kind of like similes and metaphors and rhyming and I thought that's good that I'm gonna nick that. Yeah. It's almost professional. I like it. So I yeah. did. So that's what I did. Plus I haven't made anything for this. I went <laughs> to see Lamb of God and Creator. I went to see Wet Leg. I went to see Empire State Bastard. Uh, there's a big classic metal festival announcement that we're gonna be talking about. Mm. And um maybe the the biggest one ever and ed sheeran will be telling you why sam and i do not need to exist all that is coming up Shirtless on the show to requirements we are absolutely what you're doing right now is p 
pissing your life away listening to two worthless men. Although, to be fair... You could just you probably... listen to one worthless man. His name's Ed Sheeran. <laughs> yeah, you probably knew that anyway. Yeah. Um, before we go any further, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Pop, and you can sign up for all of our exclusive content. Oh, here she is. Look who's just walked through the door. Oh. What are we, four minutes into... You've been fucking lying on the bed all day. I'm actually pointing at her. I know what you're going to do. You're going to come and meow at me. You're going to have a shit, aren't you? You're going to dink the place out. Second, Scratch, yeah. like, lazy little thing. Like, Bonjour's just walked through the door. For those. If, if you're listening to this uh, podcast for the, for the first time, basically my cat just likes to sort of bother me while uh, while I do the podcast and then ignore mm. me for the rest of the time that I'm around. But anyway, uh, our Patreon page is loads of exclusive content over there. Coming up this week over on patreon.com forward slash true cult pop we did a your cult pop which is where you can suggest an album sign up for any amount we did it on deviate by kill to this <laughs> we did we did which ended up being as long as some classic albums that we've done <laughs> in the past it, it was really really, was. really long now if you're sitting there scratching your head going why would this album that i've never even heard of before a be chosen by you and B, why would you spend so long talking about it? Well, very simply, um, I have, I have had uh, beef. I guess you'd call it with that mm. album before. I have had, I have insulted that album before in the past. And somebody came along um, on our Patreon page and decided to uh, try and defend its honour. Mm, and we said, well, tell you what, I tell you what, we'll tell you what, we'll go in professionally on it. And we did, and mm-hmm. it actually ended up being quite an interesting chat regarding, you know, we, we called them the first ever British new metal band. Imagine that. Imagine the glory of being <laughs> the first ever British new metal band. That's kill to this, chaps. Yeah, well done. It's like being the best podcast host from Stafford, which is a title I think I probably hold. So that's how low the bar is for kill to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, we're not going to spoil any more than that. I mean, if you do want to hear us chatting about you know, the glory years of the British metal scene of the mid-90s, then we'll be over there. Also, if you sign up for £5 a month, coming this week, if you're listening to this podcast, or next week, basically, it's coming in the week of first week of April, mm. you'll be getting a classic album on Alison Chain's comeback masterpiece, mm. Black Gives Way to Blue. So uh, I'm pretty excited about doing that. I'm really looking forward to doing that one. I think um, it's going to be uh, yet another marvellous chat about a fucking fantastic album. And I think it, it now marks four on the trot that I think go into some quite heavy emotional places. Like, you know, even, I say even, Alanis Morissette, I don't think I expected to go quite as dark as it did. Obviously, mm. Black Star by Bowie, we knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. Crack the, sky. Crack the sky. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to happen again, so... Mm. Oh, it's going to be fun. But my God, I mean, when you listen to... That's why to- we've picked Real Big Fish is going to be the next one after that. Just so we, know. we find out that they've done an Beer, album about yeah. like the Holocaust or something. Oh, we're God. Like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, it could happen. It could happen. It won't, but it could. Um, but no, it's going to be really good fun. I've been listening to uh, that album and Alice in Chains broadly a lot recently. And yeah, fuck me. What a fucking great yeah. band. What a fucking great band. Uh, look, normally we would point out a song that's been stuck in our head throughout the week. We don't really have a lot of time. We're doing eight albums and I've got three live reviews and we've got some news as well. So we're actually going to bin that off this this week. But if you're asking, do you remember the first time by Pulp? Great song. Uh, you want to shout one out, Sam, perchance? Uh, you know what? The one that's been stuck in my head is on one of the albums we're going to be reviewing. So I think I'll save talking about Doritos and Fritos till later. 
Oh, what a banger. <laughs> anyway, let's get into some live stuff. I went to go and see Lamb of God, Creator and Silosis at Wembley Arena last week. The big heavy metal show that we've all been waiting for since, what, 2019 that was meant to happen? So, and then it didn't. Yeah, my, my partner at the time got me tickets for the Brixton show for Christmas and it has been delayed and changed so many times and Lamb of God released two albums that I'm so unbothered by that I just decided not to go. But yeah, man, nearly four and a half years this show we've been brilliant. waiting for. Brilliant. Well done. Absolutely brilliant. Now, they say that it would be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it would for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Um, but I still think you'd be more likely to see Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates wanking each other off in a gold-plated fucking Ferrari in heaven than you would to be able to get into Wembley Arena <laughs> for the first band start. Because I'm going said to... It, I said it a little bit... Um, when I went to see The Cure at Wembley last year. And you had to miss The Twilight Sad both nights. I had to miss The Twilight Sad both nights because they had one. Yeah, there are 10,000 people that are going to come through that door and they all have to take their wallet and keys and their goths as well. So they're obviously going to have chains and shit as well. And you've got one metal detector that all of them have to go through on one side. That's 5,000 people, you daft bastards. I was reviewing for Metal Hammer, so I was going in for Hammer and I got there about, I would say... 10, 15 minutes before Silosis were due on stage mm. and there was not really any kind of queue at the the kind of guest pass entrance bit. And um, I missed basically all but two of Silosis' songs. Ah, oh, shit. Whoever, I mean, I think what is a good idea when you employ somebody who has to read names from a list, I think... <laughs> get someone who is blind, deaf, and dumb. To I mean, I think fucking Helen Keller could have sorted my <laughs> our passes out quicker than the fucking person who was doing that. And and also, you know, we always talk about how long we've waited for mm. this fucking tour to come around. There were people who had bought the original tickets, the Brixton Academy date from, who were just, they're like, you know, keep your tickets, keep your tickets. Mm -hmm. There was somebody there who was like, I need to pick up my tickets who was queuing in the queue, the queue next to us because the two queues kind of side by side, the box office. like, And the person behind the thing, not only was it taking fucking forever, but some poor kid who stood right next to me, he had his ticket. He had like, this is my pass, my thing, my confirmation email that I have these tickets, pick them up on the door. And they went, yeah, but because it got cancelled so many times, what you have to do is go outside now and buy a ticket and try and get a refund on that ticket no, that you have bought no, previously. No, 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 no. I was like, I would burn the fucking venue down if they told me to do that. I would, honestly, I was, I was like, I cannot believe this poor bastard. He's got to go and buy a ticket. That's fucking when he bought shameful. Apps. So you know, I, last week I said Ali Pali was the worst venue in London. I'm going to change that to Wembley Arena, uh, and I said in, in the in the country, I think Wembley Arena might just be the worst venue in the world. It might it might be the worst place to be in the world. Like Guantanamo Bay <laughs> seemed like um, a, a nicer place to visit than fucking Wembley Arena mm. the other day. It was absolutely pathetic. So Wembley Arena. Hang your stupid fucking head in shame. Like, when I think about... You could cuss out the O2 for being a corporate shill and shell. and But bands sound good and you get in on time. Well, I was going to say, actually, the one experience I've had that I think is akin to your now two... Well, now three oh, really? Wembley experiences was at the O2. I went to go to see Metallica uh, on Hardwired. And 
Um, like it sold out really quickly. I ended up stupidly thinking, "Fuck it, I'll just buy a ticket on Viagogo." I really want to see Metallica. My mates going, I really want to go. So I paid like three times over the price. So that is my fault, whatever. But the fact that we got there and started queuing during Cavell Attack and didn't get in until the fifth song of Metallica's set because no. they decided that that was the day. The the first day. I think those those two shows at the time were record breaking for the number of people in attendance because of Metallica doing it in the round and everything. Yeah, that that's a good time to do essential maintenance on every single fucking standard entrance apart from one. You fucking burks. Anyway, oh so my god, that is my one o two story. Um, that I think is kin. But this has happened three times for you with Wembley now. So fair play, they are shit. Uh, yeah, it's always like I mean, it's just awful. Mm. It's awful. Wembley Arena is fucking awful and so by the time i got my pass it used to be like there's your ticket go through this door and they're like right now you have to go outside and go all the way around the queue bit and then go through the main front door and i went in this guy was like oh take your keys out you know or did all that shit and i did it and he was like oh no go back you've got to take everything i was like everything's out of my pocket mate i've got a fucking i've probably got like a bit of metal on my shoe or my, i've got a belt like i've got i'm not taking my fucking belt off i was like you made me miss all of silo so basically what i'm saying is i saw like three silosis songs from the very very back of the venue uh, just a hateful place but to be fair that actually sounded good and mm. it felt like you know look look you know it will not surprise you to learn that this was far from sold out. Like when I went to see The Cure, that was sold out. Yeah, yeah. Lamb of God, curtains were down for the back tier. Um, nobody at the very, very back of the venue. Uh, I would say the the standing area was pretty full. The seating area, not really particularly well populated. Mm. But Silasis were good. Creator were fucking amazing. <laughs> Creator looked like an arena band. I mean, I've seen Creator subbing and headlining at Download, where, uh, Download, sorry? Bloodstock. Bloodstock. I was going to say, I was, you've, I've spoiled my own point then, which is like, <laughs> I cannot believe, I cannot believe Creator haven't been booked for Download. It's meant to, I've, I've never played Download. It is absolutely bananas that, that Creator uh, have never played Download. Bananas. I, I am sorry to jump in there, Steve. I'm afraid I have to correct you because <laughs> I've seen Creator once and it was at Download. They played Download what? 2019 on the Tool Day, on the Sunday. I swear down they did. I have seen Creator and I'm almost certain they're on the second stage at Download. Well, I... And I remember them you... being fucking brilliant. Um, I can't think where else I would have seen them though because I've only been to Bloodstock for the day once. They're not going to play Art Tangent. They're not going to play Damnation because it was outdoors anyway. So I'm well, I feel like, pretty certain. I feel, like a, I feel like a bloody fool now because... But I would say uh, the fact that you can't recall them playing Download does speak to... They're... They're not on the bill, mate. They're not well, on the Sunday. I've definitely seen them. Maybe it was 2018. I've definitely seen them at download at some point. But anyway, the fact that they don't play it as often as they should. And to be honest, I mean, I know they're not big enough, but in terms of what I have seen in terms of their stage production for an outdoor show, they should be fucking high up that main stage bill if and when they do get fucking booked for it. Because Creator, I've not listened to them loads and loads and loads. What I've heard, though, I'm like, yeah, you probably are one of the best 80s thrash bands still going, really, aren't you? You have matured so brilliantly. Well, uh, the best. Uh, I, I mean, mean, I would say, you know, yep. Testament, I think I've got a good shout. I think the last Testament album, that Titans of Creation, weren't great. But I think basically everything this century from them has been really, really strong. They did play Download it. 2018, they that played below. It. Rise Against on a Sunday. Rise Against, Alex on Fire, Meshuggah, Thrice, Body Count, Creator. 
I don't remember that. I think, yeah. what would I have been doing that day? Because I was reviewing stuff that day. I'm, I'm assuming they... Uh, they would have been clashing cla- with They clashed with something that I had to see. Um, I can't even begin to tell you what it is. But yeah, okay. So, all right, I take it back. But yeah, yeah like now, I mean, they you had to kind of pinch yourself to go... When they finished, I was like, what a great gig. And then it went to walk out and I went, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on. They're the fucking support band. I mean, I know it's sort of kind of maybe slightly build like something of a co-headliner, but Lamb of God were always the headliners. Mate, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Creator's output has been incredibly mm. strong. I, I think it's like, I'm, I'm sorry to say it. I mean, I'm not sorry to say it because <laughs> somebody's got to be the best. I think they're the best. I think today... Having seen Testament a few times and having listened to the last couple of Testament albums, which are good, you know, really, really mm-hmm. good. Is there anything truly essential that Creator have released since the formation of Damnation? I'm not sure you would say that. I think they're always really good, but I'm not sure they're absolutely essential. Whereas Creator have released some fucking brilliant albums. And, you know, Testament, I think they come out and play. Creator had a full-blown fucking show. And, you know, like that, that headline performance they did a download where they, you know, they brought the whole full fucking you know, stage set with them, like, you know, the, the production and everything. Mm. It, it was really, really good. Like, really, really, really strong. Very, very strong. At all. I mean, I remember doing Gods of Violence when we when I was on That's Not Metal back in the day. And I hadn't really listened to loads of Creator. I think I remember, like, interviewing Andrew WK and he was saying Phantom Antichrist was amazing. So I went yeah. and listened to it and I was like, yeah, fucking hell, it's great. <laughs> Gods of Violence is fucking brilliant as well. We didn't even, did we review Hey Uber Alice last year? I'm no, sure we, we did, didn't. But I have listened to it and it's fucking great. I mean, they opened with the title track and, you know, close to with Pleasure to Kill. It, it was brilliant. They were so good. So good. I, um, I can believe it. Like, as I say, I saw them at that, that sort of afternoon slot at a download and I was like, oh, Old thrash band. Oh, this would be all right. We're sat here. There's no one else we want to see. And it was like, oh, they are really, they really are fucking good. And they put so much into their performances. I would say on the co-headliner tip as well. I think this is basically exactly the same as the Machine Head and Monomath co-headline tour that I went to in September, where, for all intents and purposes, it's well, it is a co-headline tour, but it's just that one band will headline the UK and the other one will headline in mainland. So I'd imagine Creator will be top of the billing in the in the European dates, whereas Lamb of God, I think, yeah. have got more of the market here. In the same way as Machine Head and Monomath, totally, because I was surprised that it was Machine Head doing every night in the UK because I thought, well, that's not really a co-headliner until you then get to the rest of Europe. So fair play, fair play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looked like a headlining slot. Mm. I mean, it looked like a headlining slot possibly you know i also no no it's not true to say it looked like more a headline slot than lamb of god lamb of god brought a lot of fire but i think creator were a bit more creative with what they do with their and they, did, they didn't even look like they brought their full 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 production mm. which i've seen them do before um but i still think it's just a little bit more creative than lamb of god's production which sort of brings me to lamb of god who are brilliant right who are a brilliant band. My, and my, standards... my first favourite band that were mine. Like after oh. after I got over Maiden, that my mum had introduced to Lamb of God were the first band that <laughs> I fell in love with. Well, I think Lamb of God's last couple of records have been pretty forgettable, really. I think the last two have been, uh, yeah, buying numbers, I think, if I'm being kind. Um, I think there were moments on Sturm and Drang that were interesting. But for me, I haven't loved a Lamb of God album since Resolution, personally. He loves resolution. I do fucking love resolution. Yeah. He absolutely loves it. Yeah, I would broadly agree with that. I mean, it was a shame that, you know, 
they played one song from Strum and Drang, and they, they, it was just the sort of main set closer, five one two. Still Echoes is the best song on that album, isn't it? Surely. Uh, Still Echoes. I really like Embers and Torches with Greg as well, but obviously they yeah. they rely on the guests, so you're not going to see them as often live. Mm. So, mm. but yeah, Still Echoes is fucking great. Still Echoes is fucking great. I don't know why they don't play that. And Five One Two, I was like, yeah, okay. Now I looked at the set list before I went because I was like, and I sort of sent it to you, and I was like, oh, <laughs> you said it really? with the caption, pathetic. Look at this. Yeah, <laughs> I know, and I feel a bit bad for saying that because. Lamb of God are essentially victims of their own high standards, mm. I think, because they were so good. You know, the first time I saw them was on the Sacrament tour. I basically saw them, on, I've seen them on pretty much every touring cycle that they have done since they were like the second band on at Brixton Academy with Slayer and In Flames on that Unholy Alliance thing. Mm. Um, I mean, I saw them a, a lot around that period. And from then to, you know, the various times I saw them at Brixton, the download shows that they've done they've always been fucking perfect like amazing and when you were i think you know seeing them from sacrament to wrath and then just before resolution came out that period i mean i i, I reckon i saw lamb of god hold on i'm just quickly counting in my head like one two three four five i reckon i saw them six times over that kind of four-year period nice i reckon i saw them six times right and every single time i was just like this band are absolutely unbelievable mm. and then even when they brought in the kind of resolution when when uh, resolution came out and i still was like oh, i'm not as sure about that record but live they just fucking destroyed yeah. every yeah. single time and it wasn't until i saw them at download 2019 that yep. we we're talking about where i was like oh set seems a little bit slightly diluted mm. and then when i saw the set this, i thought that download 2019 set for the record yeah the it was the first time I'd seen them and thought, it feels like maybe like a little bit of pace has gone. Mm. Um, watching the other day, 14 song set. Uh, like, there's, you know, if I was to pick my favourite Lamb of God set, they are missing fair. Like one song from Wrath, come mm. on. Um, you know, Ima- two songs from Sacrament and the two most obvious ones as well. Obviously, Redneck and Walk With Me in Hell. Yeah. You know, uh, there's Curse of the Black and Sun like I oh, fucking I, I want that shit like I mean Wrath fucking pick pick anything well Wrath they could just right. do in full couldn't they I mean but yeah. with Wrath it's like imagine having set to fail in your arsenal and not playing that every night like yeah unbelievable let yeah. alone in your words Fate Messiah I mean bro- um, Broken, Broken Hands, hands yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, choke, love that. choke Sermon would be the one, mm. one for a deep cut as well Reclamate oh yeah just all of Wrath please yeah Nothing, nothing from uh, New American Gospel. I mean, you're like, what is if as if you're not playing Black Label? Like, yeah. I don't get it. I don't fucking get it. Um, but you're getting like, so three from As the Palace is Burned, fine. Three from Ashes of the Wake, fine. Two from Lamb of God and two from Omens. Two from Sacrament, one from Strim and Drang, one from Wrath, right? So there's a lot, like the bottom half of that set, as I look at it now on Setlist FM. Um, all of my, fa- you know, I would say my favourite albums there are, you know, as a palace is burn fine you're getting three from that that's cool like mm-hmm. obviously love to hear those songs you you always want to hear fucking you know ruin and vigil and shit like that I, but, 11th hour like when i looked at that set list 11th hour is the clear high mm-hmm. point for me on that set list that they did because yeah, that's a that, fucking and, belter uh and then you've got later rest now you've got something to die for oh murder from ashes of the wake later rest and you got something like ashes of the wake is, is a good album like really really great album but i think it may be the years later i am like oh yeah maybe it's kind of the the weak one of that run of that first run of five i think 
I would say so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for me, actually, in, in the Lamb of God albums that I love, so New American Gospel right through to Resolution, yeah, Ashes, it might be the weakest, which is not to say that it's not fucking brilliant. I mean, you've got stuff like One Gun on there and The Faded Line. I mean, there's mm. some great stuff, but it probably is the least exciting. It probably yeah. is. But it's the four songs from the new albums where I was like, I mean, I knew they were going to play stuff from those those new albums, but I was like, I don't even really remember what they sound like. Now, they opened with Memento Mori and it was cool. And it's like, oh, hey, Lamb of God are here. But I did sort of think to myself, this is not the explosive opening that you usually would get from, uh, from Lamb of God. But then Ruin into Walk With Me In Hell, Resurrection Man, I mean, you know, Again, you've got the two from... I'd say the self-titled album is... I think it's their weakest album. I think Omens is better than that album, personally. Yeah. I think it probably is their, their weakest album. So you've from the first four, you've got like two new songs and two absolute classics. And I was like, this is proper like flip-floppy. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like proper flip-floppy. And then we went into Ditch from Omens and I was like, is this just going to kind of run out of steam a little bit? Um or is this kind of like, it wasn't explosive opening that I sort of was used to with Lamb of God. And I have to say as well, no shade on Art Cruz at all, who's a very, very good drummer. But Chris Adler, I think Lamb of God missed Chris Adler. I think yeah. it's an, it's an it, he is an irreplaceable component as to why that band was so great. They still fucking, those riffs still sound really tight mm -hmm. and taut and everything still sounds really good and they sound like a good metal band. Chris Adler brought those that kind of like, almost kind of, thumping stabbing like just the, his symbol work and how fucking tight everything was and how fast everything felt and it just was like there's a level of urgency mm. that chris adler just inhabits that i don't think art cruise quite has and that's not to say he's a bad drummer he's just a different drummer but i think chris adler was such a perfect 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 fit for lamb of god that i do think you've lost i was going to say a yard of pace but it's not even necessarily a yard of pace it's just it's something a bit more savage that Chris Adler used to sort of bring to it. Something that just made everything feel a bit nastier. And I think they've lost that a little bit. Like, only a little bit, but but it's noticeable. It was noticeable to me anyway. I think it's absolutely a question of feel. And I think the fact that, you know, you've got Chris and Willie in the band, you know, it is the kind of, you know, the brothers dynamic that you get with the Duplantiers and the, um, the Cavaleras and, of course, the Abbots. Um yeah, I, it's not just what Chris played, it's how he played it that brought so much to Lamb of God. I mean, I would say to me, it feels like basically the same conversation where you have uh, Jerry Jordison moving to Max Weinberg. Uh, or Jay Weinberg, sorry, not Max Weinberg. Jay That'd be very different. Mm. But yeah, you know, Jay can play all of Jerry's bits, but it doesn't feel the same. And then, you know, when, no. he's, when he's composing his own original stuff, it just doesn't have that. Uh, urgency is absolutely the word for these kind of, you know, <laughs> heavy, borderline extreme metal bands. Like, it's what you need mm. and it, it can fundamentally change the impact quite drastically yeah but then to be fair to lamb of god right you know i think the, the, like i say this is not this was not a bad show this is them being victims of their own high standards now you've got something to die for into contractor was oh, fucking great yeah. uh you got a murder i thought omens was like again you know omens is not an album i've been back to loads but the title track from omens sounded fucking massive and i've listened back to it afterwards because i'd sort of you know i didn't go in and listen to any of their old their uh, the, the kind of the recent stuff in prep for this tour i just went along but when i came out i listened to omen and i was like man that is a fucking banging song mm. that is a great song and it did sound and it does it did sound fucking huge live really really good 11th hour like you said was oh. a lovely one to kind of oh. get chucked in as well oh, yeah ended with 512 which i thought was like yeah you know okay but then that encore vigil laid to rest redneck 
that is absolutely fucking outstanding i mean that like, is, that is unbeatable really isn't it like yeah, there aren't many metal like, bands who go toe to toe with that no 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 and it was brilliant right it was proper brilliant so i think the thing is is lamb of god at this point are an eight out of ten like live band in in that arena right mm. i saw them with megadeth when they supported megadeth in 2015 i want to say yeah it was because it, like yeah. it was a day after the battle clan yeah yes of course it yeah. Was. yeah yeah and it was it's comfortably the most the heaviest most extreme most brutal set i've ever seen at an arena mm. i think i suppose i had seen behemoth at the o2 as well which was pretty fucking but i'd say even even that like lamb of god just had the fucking bit between their teeth on mm. that day they wiped and again megadeth were good but like it was one of the better megadeth shows i've seen but <laughs> They got their fucking bum smacked on that day. Like they, Lamagod just handed their ass to them. It was fucking outrageous. And so I remember that. And then in comparison, you walk away and you go, "That was really great. That was really really great." But I know what Lamagod used to be able to do, yeah. and they used to be able to do that. And they, you know, like it's it's a harsh comparison because no one's that forever. You know, Rage Against the Machine are not as good. Or, you know, obviously it's been about 10 years since I've seen Rage Against the Machine, but they're not as good now as they were in the 90s. No. They're still fucking amazing, but they're not as, like, uh, that Prodigy show I went to, or even seeing the, you know, seeing the Prodigy in the 90s and seeing them now, actually, they're one of the few bands whose standards haven't really dipped that much. But anyway, do you know what I mean? Like, a band <laughs> yeah. who've been around for 30 years, they're probably not going to be as good if they rely on just pure kind of ferocity in the same way as, like, those bands do. You can't do it forever. Absolutely. You, know, you can't. Absolutely not. Sorry. I mean, I was going to say, yeah. like, so it's, for me, Slipknot, I mean, you've been seeing Slipknot a fair few years more than me. You saw their debut UK show. I first saw them at Download 2013, and I'd say that every single show I've seen them at since is just that little bit less exciting and less kind of ferocious. And it does happen, as you say. And if a band trades on kind of pure extremity, but they're doing it at that level and these size venues, it is going to drop off a bit. And it's not necessarily a criticism, but it is just, well, no, it is a criticism, but it's not an unfair one. It is just the fact of the matter, mm. unfortunately. And you know there will be it's nights. Almost, that not even a, it's not even really a, a, like, I think criticism. I'm not sure is the right word because mm. it's an it's an observation that we mm. you know it's not a, like if someone gets out like a fucking a footballer who gets to 38 who's a winger mm. and used to be like fast and they're not as fast as they were in their 20s. It's not a criticism. It's just a fact of you find other ways to adapt and things. Is I think it's hard when you're a band who you know no one wants to hear a fucking acoustic Lamb of God album. No, they just don't. No one wanted Slayer to fucking slow down. Um, you, you know, you got to find ways to be different, and if your whole kind of raison d'être is is that thing, it, you know, like time will catch up with you. Mm, it will, mm. unless your creator <laughs> doesn't seem to have caught up with them. Yeah. Weirdly, but it was really good. It was really good. Uh, it was comfortably better than what I saw the next night, um, which was the best British rock band, according to the Brits. Uh, this year. I want to see Wet Leg at the Royal Albert Hall. Now, I spoke at the Brits and I said, oh, you know, Wet Leg did Shays Lounge and they brought a big kind of, sort of, uh, you know, mock kind of pole dancing, not pole dancing, maypole dancing, not pole <laughs> dancing and maypole dancing are very, very different things. They had that kind of midsummer thing that they were going mm. for. And I thought that's quite cool. And like, you know, I, swear, I think that their album is, is all right. You know, it's pretty good. I remember being like definitely more um definitely more into it than you know than 
than Renfrey was when we reviewed it on yeah, Riot Act. Act. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I just thought, like, this is a cool little debut album full of catchy alt-pop rock songs, right? Yeah, That's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Um, the hype surrounding them is maybe a little bit OTT. Surprising, uh, I would say. Yeah, I, I don't feel mm. that it's necessarily justified, personally. To the point where they are headlining the Royal Albert Hall mm. uh, during the Teenage Cancer Trust Concerts Week, which I normally would go to all of them, but, you know, I didn't because of stuff. Uh, so Wet Leg was the only one that I saw this week of those concerts. And, um, God, they're boring. <laughs> are they? Yeah. They've got absolutely no charisma at all. I think that's this is the problem with Wet Leg. I think, like, their songs, they came on and they played their songs in a perfectly fine, perfectly rudimentary way. Mm. It was fine. I don't think the lead singer, whose name I don't know, I mean, she's got, just got, you know, I said, again, I said it when they did the Brits, they did their, their speech at the Brits was just a bit like, come on, if you don't want a beer. Yeah. Like I get that whole like, oh, we're too cool for anything sort of vibe that people bring to certain <laughs> things. But it didn't even really, really feel like that. It wasn't like I'm too cool. It was almost like oh, I don't know what to, oh, I've never had to talk to people before, <laughs> and like it was just so I don't know, just sort of flaccid and underwhelming. It was just really, really, really underwhelming. And they came on and did "Being in Love" as the first song, mm. and the crowd just sort of stood there. Oh wow! Um, oh, everyone ooh, just sort of stood yeah. there and was like sort of bobbing their heads. <clears throat> and it's funny actually because. You would think. So I was thinking, like, what is a wet leg crowd like? Who who is this band appealing to? And I thought to myself, it's going to be kind of young, quirky people who, because you know, like, because I remember L Seven mm. and I remember Babes in Toyland and Hole and do you know what I mean. Like, you remember all that stuff and you go, are people my age going to look at wet leg and go, oh, it's just as good? I remember seeing fucking L Seven on the words and they trashed their equipment <laughs> and Danita Sparks pulled her pants down and obviously in a few months actually threw a tampon in the yeah, yeah. crowd at Reading and they did mad, you know, they did like quote unquote mad shit. They did, you know, they were a bit, they, you know, they had a kind of punk rock fury and fire about mm -hmm. them. And wet leg don't have that. Wet leg have this kind of the kind of aloof call that I guess would be more associated with like how Elastica were. Right. But again, even Elastica played with. Like a bit of kind of, you go and see Elastica live and even though they had that like, oh, you know, we're kind of a bit too cool for everything. They played their songs tight and taut and fast. Bit like of a punk vim. band. They yeah. Felt, yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, they didn't really do that. And the crowd, you know, I was speaking to somebody um, who worked for a company who were associated with the company that I worked for. And I just sort of went up and said hello to them. And I was like, oh, you know, they were look they were sort of a few years younger than me and they said I, I was and there was only three of them in a box of four and I was like oh did you not get to rid of your four tickets and she was like well we've got a lot of this is quite a cool young brand that mm. this lady works for and she was like I've got a lot of young people who work with us and they were all like if it was Burner Boy I'd go but I'm not going to watch that fucking boring band and I was like oh I thought young people would be sort of into wet leg I thought it'd be there and she was like no I think it's more for like people from the 90s and I looked around the crowd and I was like yeah there's kind of a few young people but it was actually quite an old crowd it was actually quite an old crowd and I was like thinking is this just you know the kind of the 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 
people used to buy NME back in the 90s yeah. and they've just gone, oh, this is the only thing I've got, which kind of vaguely reminds me of like the Donners or something. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? So, um, yeah, and it just was, everything felt a little bit like, it all just felt like a bit of a chore. Yeah, I mean... It perked up a bit. The second song was Wet Dream, which obviously is a big song of theirs mm. and, and is like, it's cool. But again, like, even that, there's like a handful of people, like eight people jumping up and down on the spot there. A few more there. You know, I mean, I contrast that again with like, going to see Liam Gallagher there last year. Mm. And that was like a load of old fucking, you know, Paul Weller. Parkers, yeah, yeah. But the atmosphere was like, even though people weren't, it wasn't like a big fucking mosh pit or anything, but people were fucking excited and nobody, including the band on stage, seemed that excited to be in or be watching Wet Leg. And I think that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, but I mean, it's fairly damning, isn't it? I mean, as you say, if they can't even sort of muster up the enthusiasm for, for a Royal Albert Hall show, no less. I mean, regardless of the fact that it was part of a Teenage Cancer Trust concert, which you'd think you'd put, you know, a bit more, not necessarily more effort into, but you'd, you'd want to put some effort in because it is, you know, it's an important charity. But yeah, I mean, if you can't be asked to sort of like give it anything, I mean, that's going to translate over. I mean, the fact that, you know, you say they came out and there was no charisma and there wasn't really much of an audience reaction on the first song, it sounds like you're kind of shooting yourselves in the foot for the rest of your set. If you can't grab people at the very beginning, even if you're headlining and even if people are excited to see you, which it sounds like they weren't, I mean, how, lo- how long is it going to last? Maybe this will be, you know, the Brit Award one year and by their second album, they'll be completely forgotten about, like many of the NME mm. bands of the day that they seem to ape. I think they are proper kind of, there's somebody, you know, the music industry uh, w- w- would love, I think would love to ha- be able to make money again mm. from you know traditional sounding guitar bands yeah, and i think yeah. wet leg are an example of you know an attempt to do that mm. and it's working to an extent at the moment and again i think the album is perfectly deep i think it's re- you know some really good songs there's some great moments i think it. like wet like chaiselon's obviously is really good i think angelica's really good you know uh oh no wet dream you know there's some good stuff some good stuff on, on that record. It is good, right? And it sounds like a thing. And if you like that thing that it sounds a bit like, there's not really anyone else who is necessarily doing that exact thing at the moment. So I can see why people might go, oh, that's cool. That reminds me of, you know, insert kind of riot girl band from the 90s mm-hmm. here, right? But I just, it, I, we're, in a, we're in a completely different world now. And I, like, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Wet Leg, you know, w- what will happen to Wet Leg is, you know, it will be, fairly similar to what happened to like the darkness on one way ticket to right, hell back obviously yeah. it won't be as big as that but like i just think they'll they'll just go away do you know what i mean i think that's i think like i i wondered if they would be a band who would sort of do big things i just i like having seen them mm. i just don't think I just don't think it's going to happen, to be honest. They'd need to release like a kind of a, a classic second album and from the sounds of it, really, <laughs> really work on their live performance. I think if they're going to carry it through at, at the level they are doing now. But Yeah, because the thing is, they, did, they didn't even, those songs they weren't even that tight as a band. Mm. Like It was just fucking like watching rehearse, really. So they're not even hard songs to play, guys. They're not. I God yesterday and they were like, they weren't moving around much, but they you know, play the playing, songs. They get, they get all the notes to the right bit that riff from laid to rest for fuck's sake like mm-hmm. i don't think you'd be doing that anyway it wasn't great um i'll tell you what was great it was probably my favorite 
of the Ooh. three gigs I saw this week. Empire State Bastard at the Underworld, the third ever Empire State Bastard show. Empire State Bastard, of course, are uh, it's Mike Venart and Simon Neil from um, Venart and Biffy Clyro kind of coming together and doing a heavy band, mm. right? I think Mike has written most of it. Simon wanted to do it. They've roped in. Do you know what? I can't remember who the bass player is. Oh, gosh. Um, I can't remember her name right now. She used to be in Bitch Falcon, I believe. Hang yeah, on. that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. have a look uh, while you're reviewing. I'll find her name. And of course, <laughs> fucking Dave, Dave Lombardo, who a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Dave Lombardo as one of the 32 best drummers ever. In fact, he actually got through his first round. Yeah, he got so through I guess that makes him one of the top 16 best drummers ever. Mm. And he was maybe slightly controversially knocked out by Ringo Starr as well. So, yes. you know, I know a few people might have had a problem with that. But... Dave Lombardo's on fucking drums and watching Dave Lombardo play drums at the Underworld in London, which is a, I think that's a 600 capacity venue. Fuck me. Like that dude is unbelievable. There is one of the, the songs, obviously like Empire State Bastard have only released one song mm. into the public domain thus far. And so Simon did say like, you know, sorry, you don't know any of those songs. And I turned around and went, well, actually, I, I actually... <laughs> I actually do know the whole uh, all these songs. Me and uh, um, Naomi McLeod, the bassist. Uh, we we know them really well. Just Naomi McLeod, yeah. Slip that in there. So. Yeah. yeah, but there's one song where David Bardo basically does this fucking mad drum solo, and Simon Neal just sort of like yelps over the top of it. Um, yeah. So Mike Venart uh, has written a bunch of these songs. I'm not going to go too much into what inspired it right now because I think obviously we're going to probably review the album. Um, I'll be talking about this in various guises mm. uh at some point as well so um yeah i won't go into the sort of the ins and outs of what it is actually about but they as a band to me sound like if you took the most crushing parts of cult of luna Ooh. the most sort of punishing parts of converge Ooh. and the the weirdest parts of the locust the weirdest <sighs> fastest parts of the locust and um and told Frank Black from the Pixies to write all of the songs. Oh my God, sign me up. That is basically what Empire State Bastard are, I think. Jesus. Like, it is sludgy in parts. It is unbearably heavy in parts, like slow, doomy, crushing riffs. And then it goes for these weird, like, absolutely manic kind of math core. It's, it's almost too brutal to compare it to dillinger i think the locust is probably a better mm. shout or blood brothers or something like that simon neil does a bit of singing he does a bit of the kind of he does some pattern-esque yelps mm. uh within it i know they've said they've been you know very very influenced by stuff like bungle. tomahawk yeah, yeah. tomahawk and bungle and phantom Mush and mm. stuff like that and um yeah it's just really good it's just really really good like you know there are side projects from people in less heavy bands going i'm gonna make a heavy band and you listen to it and you go okay well it's you know slight i like boxcar racer but when tom delong's like this is my post-hardcore fugazi album <laughs> and you're like well it just sort of sounds like blink 182 but with slightly more fuzzy guitars yeah. really that's that's all there really is to it and um or you know when frank aero said he was gonna do oh, i've done this black flag band and you listen to it and you're like, just a sort of punk band. Mike Chemical Romance on the well worst, produced. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but not that good 
in the production yeah. whereas this is legit fucking heavy and you know simon neil has got a mad good scream on him he as does. we know yeah we, we do the, know the cop syrups of this world and all that sort of stuff and so him just doing that over and over again like and he's not got a guitar so they're all like wearing suits and stuff i gotta say mike mike venart looked fucking cool mike venart had an amazing suit on he was peeling out some big riffs he had a i don't know what his guitar was I don't know about guitar makes but he had a big <laughs> guitar looked fucking great and he was sort of lurching backwards and forwards like a sort of um uh cross between an insurance salesman and steve von till oh it was great <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it was it was well good it was well good. I think that, like, this is a really good record. Yeah. Uh, coming. Oh, shit. Uh, probably. Uh, well, I can't wait to maybe hear if it's good or not. Um, we'll find out. But uh, I'm, I'm curious because, obviously, Empire State Bastards' debut shows have only come, you know, in, in well... By the time you saw them, Harvest had only been out four days, and that was the final show that they've yeah. done on this little run. I mean, what was the response like in the room, and how how much are people getting into it beyond it just being, you know, I mean, particularly Simon Neal and Dave Lombardo in this tiny little venue? I mean, were people properly responding well to the songs? Because I know a few people who went, and they said that it was really fucking good, but obviously that's quite a small sample size yourself who does know the material, and then people who are well into everything that each of the members of this band have done yeah i think it was uh people who were just i think they were, there were people there who were there for dave lombardo because people were of chanting course. for dave lombardo yep. someone shouted slayer that had signs up going saying no requests please in fact when someone <laughs> started shouting slayer mike van art gave him the finger wag yeah. as if to say like no 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 um and so i think people were just happy to see those people in such a small venue mm-hmm. but also this idea that a load of biffy Clyro fans were going to turn up and not know what they were turning up for which I heard, it's like, oh God, it's going to scare the shit out of Biffy Clyro fans, isn't it? It's like, no, not really. Have, have not really. People who think that about Biffy Clyro fans don't realise that Biffy Clyro fans heard their first three albums that are basically weird mathcore albums. Yeah. And <laughs> so, there we go. so no no one was there being like, play bubbles. Like, you know, like that didn't, that <laughs> didn't happen at all. Satan. I think it didn't get like chaotic, big fucking mosh pit where people were like, oh my God, that's a bit. But I think people were looking, you could see there was a, there was a respectfulness and an intensity to mm. people's reaction to it. Like there were certain songs where you could feel people just go like, Oh my God. Like they, they've got some fucking really cool ideas. They've really, really cool ideas. I mean, I think, you know, I've seen them compare themselves to, or try and compare themselves to a sort of Mr. Bungle or whatever. And I wouldn't say it's that kind of esoteric and odd and unusual and weird and just, you know, fucking all over the place, but it's still, by the standards of heavy music today, I'd say they're probably doing something which is much more challenging than the majority of bands who you will be told are doing something challenging, I would say. Sweet. I'm fucking sign me the fuck up. And bang up fair, for that. It's not like I won't have a chance to see them because they're playing every festival in the world this summer. So wherever I go, they're going to be there. So that's fun. Yeah, Unless, happy well, days. apart from Outbreak, which is the one that I do have a ticket for. That's the one festival in the UK. I don't think they're playing at the moment, but there we go. I'll, mm. I can still find them. You can still find them. <laughs> so, um, uh, Power Trip Festival. Yes. There's a festival in the US announced. We're going to do a big festival preview show in a couple of months when everything's been properly announced. But if you like metal, particularly metal from the, the golden era, there's a festival in the desert. It's basically where Coachella is that's happening in the US. 
Only six bands have been announced for it so far. Probably, I don't know how they can afford any more. <laughs> ACDC, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, Iron Maiden, Tool, and Ozzy Osbourne. It's quite a good lineup, isn't it? How has that <laughs> happened? Um, I, I, I don't know. I want to know who the people behind this are who have this magic money tree. Because if I understand rightly, it's the same people that organised, I forget what it's called, but the same place the same sort of setup but they had like the rolling stones and other bands yeah, it was of stones size. it was it was springsteen paul mccartney bob dylan the stones roger waters and the who i mean mental like arguably absolutely mental potentially an even more expensive line than they've got this year i mean i know you've yeah. got acdc and guns N' roses and metallica in there but it's like oh dear me yeah so, so uh, that is gonna cost you <laughs> this is gonna this, cost you <laughs> this is gonna cost you yeah. like absolutely fucking insane i mean the only way this festival could be more exciting is if it was taking place 20 years ago and those <laughs> <bands> were all, <laughs> still, good, were all yeah. still good yeah do you know what i mean i think that's the only way you could really improve on it i mean because here's the thing for this festival right it's a paycheck mm. a big big paycheck for those bands who i would imagine have all turned around and sort of thought oh yeah fuck it they're offering us an insane amount of money an insane amount of money but really like i mean i don't ever want to see iron maiden at all i mean you know, i don't want to see him again i've seen him 15 times and i've i've had my fill i can't imagine ozzy who retired last week and he's back already yeah fucking hell well done like yeah Ozzy I just think like if you can't do it and he obviously feels that he can't do it otherwise he wouldn't have said this in the first place that's quite a brutal thing for him to have to go and do in the fucking desert yeah um, I mean it could be that yeah we were talking about when um when he did announce his retirement that I, I I think that in Ozzy's mind he wants to go out like Tommy Cooper on stage I mean that could be it I mean that intense heat at his age with his health problems I mean I don't yeah. wish it on him but it's, it's playing with fire yeah, ACDC, I mean, again, Brian Johnson returning. There's been a lot of talk about with Brian Johnson. Even this is going back fucking about eight years, Brian Johnson. Would Brian Johnson, you know, be well enough to play these mm. songs and stuff? And I think, you know, if he's there and Angus Young's there, you've got ACDC. I still think, you know, without Malcolm, Malcolm yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's not the ACDC that we all would know and love. Guns N' Roses, yeah, you know, look, Guns N' Roses have come back and they've made everyone pretty much eat their words by being yeah. really good since they've come back. Metallica are Metallica and they are probably, you know, the only band, save for, well, actually, no, they're not. They are the only band who, you know, actually, no, sorry, save for Maiden, who I'm not interested in, <laughs> uh, who uh, who have been basically constantly touring and playing and are a, a well-oiled live machine yeah. in the same way. Uh, and you've got Tool as well, who I would say arguably are the only band who are still making music that people would give a fuck about. Like, I know Ozzy won the Grammy for his album, which was a lot better than I expected it to be, but it's still not classic Ozzy. Guns N' Roses haven't released anything apart from that quite sort of ropey song everyone hated <laughs> uh acdc yes they are you know that album came out last year or the year before but ugh, really um oh, don't get me started on maiden obviously and um uh, metallica they've, oh, they've got an album coming out they've got an album coming out i'm sure it'll be brilliant just like everything else they've done this century so i'm sure that'll be really really good and not at all boring mm. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, Tool, uh, I think, and are Tool. the only ones who've released something in the last decade that uh, is over a 6 out of 10. Oh, no, actually, my, my one of my favourite Maiden albums did come out in 2006, but uh, which would be more than a decade ago. So fine, I win. I'm right. They're the only ones who've released <laughs> yeah. more than a 6 out of 10 in, uh, in 10 years. Well done, Tool. Yeah. I mean, yes, basically, you know, kind of nostalgia has peaked, hasn't it, really? Yeah. This is... I mean, this is a great lineup. And to say that you saw all those bands together on one weekend, I think would be amazing. But I, for me, I, I would I would have been... If this was 2003, oh, I think this mate. lineup would be so exciting. Yeah. In 2023... Lateralis and St. Anger would be very exciting. Oh, well, <laughs> yes. And well, I mean, actually, you know, because you've got Ozzy. I guess Ozzy uh, had... I don't know what album, if he would have... No, it's before Black Rain, isn't it? So uh, I can't think when the release of the album that I'm thinking of came out. But anyway, Ozzy w- was could still do it back mm-hmm, then. He mm-hmm. could definitely still do it. Like I say, Tool would have been on the latter Alice. Oh. Maiden would have only been back with Bruce for a few years they, and on Brave New Worlds dan- stroke Dance of Death. Yeah, Dance of Death would have been about to come out or potentially out mm-hmm. depending on the date of the festival. Yeah. Yeah. Metallica on St. Anger, which, you know, like... Their best album, people, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I, I think ACDC uh, would have been on. Uh, they would have been on Ball Breaker. Yeah, I think what it would. No, no, it wasn't Ball Breaker. It's uh, oh fuck, what is? It's the gold statue, the bronze statue. Yeah. of Angus on the front, and I can't fucking remember what the album's called. Which is it's not no, it's not stiff upper lip. No, I can't no. remember. Uh, it, be- no. it begins with the B, but it's not Ball Breaker. Hang on, hang on. Oh. It is stiff upper lip, I think. I think it might be. Hang on. It is stiff upper lip. Good. Good, good memory, Sam, because I couldn't genuinely couldn't remember what that album. Yeah, was. it is. Yeah, way. The only, yeah, and the only one that are really letting in the side down would be Guns N' Roses, mm. who obviously would probably turn up at fucking four a.m. and not play any songs. And, um, a, a man, yeah, man with a with a bucket on his head would come out and eat chicken shit or something. But anyway, <laughs> but look, there you go. Look, we'll talk about that more, I guess. But but like fucking hell, big in it. That is big. Anyway, who cares what we think? Because Ed Sheeran has said, I doesn't. He doesn't see the point. I doesn't. <laughs> He probably did say that, and then um, creative license in the editorial team probably changed it to something more coherent. I doesn't see the point in music critics. That's what he says. I mean, he is from Ipswich, uh, so yeah, he probably does. He is from Ipswich. Ed Sheeran has said he doesn't see the point in music critics. According to an interview with Rolling Stone, he was talking about the age of the streaming and how music is now more accessible than ever. Sheeran suggested that critics are no longer needed to help guide listeners or help them engage why do you need a review listen to it it's freely available he told the publication make your own mind up i would never read an album review and go i'm not going to listen to that now which is cool ed because i'm sure if i went up to you and went cool ed what do you think of the primitive man full of hell split you should have just listened to it shouldn't you obviously you will have just listened to that just listen to it like you know we all know that exists right um one person responded to this saying, okay, except music critics aren't there for people to decide what to listen to. Taking a deeper look at music through a critical lens, both positive and negative, is a celebration of music as a whole, if anything. And I think that is one point and a good mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. But I think the other point, it's funny actually, because when I was watching the Brits, I went to my mate, my mate Mark's house and um, he's a teacher, so he's got a fucking nerve slagging me off. But he was like, <laughs> I don't see the point. I don't see the point of reviewers. And he's really into dance music, right? He would, If I said to him, like, you know, what's your favourite music? He would say 90s dance music. And I said, what do you think of that new Orbital album? And he went, oh, I didn't know they had an album out. And I was like, well, there you fucking go. There you fucking go, mate. Maybe, just maybe, 
you should pay more attention to what's going on because we reviewed that. And look, I'm not even saying just music critics. Um, we have been told about some really, really fucking great bands M- model because actress, of the... you know one of you know uh, Anya Taylor Joy Division telling us about that and fuck me that is going to be coming up at the end of the year we wouldn't have known about it no Matt's Cousins as well like I have been listening to that Kai Whiston album basically from the second I read that tweet mm. I was like this album's fucking brilliant you know I've started following him on Instagram I think he's fucking great like a great great artist people like yeah if you're Ed Sheeran and your music is being shoved down people's faces in every advert radio station tiktok tv channel fucking everywhere if you go anywhere you hear that yeah i don't need i i know when your album's coming i walk past the fucking billboard with your face on and then a bus goes by and it's also got your face on fine like that's absolutely fine you are getting loads of exposure but tiny little artists Mm -hmm. that people don't know about still need people like sam and i (laughs) To say, I think, you know, not even people like Sam and I, just other, someone else. Yeah. Like, nobody knows that every single fucking thing exists. We do our best to try and get as much stuff as we possibly can. I listen to a lot of stuff, you know, obviously bin half of it off. Yeah. Because there's no point us coming in and going, oh, this is out. They're new. I don't really like it. I'm not sure. Like, I'm only going to bring stuff in really to sort of review. I mean, you know, saying that, we're about to review Depeche Mode and Miley Cyrus. If you like those bands, or those eyes, I should say, uh, you probably have already listened to it, mm-hmm. right? So you could argue, like, what's the point of us turning around and saying, oh, the new Depeche Mode album's really good. Like, you know, what is the point of us saying that to you? Which is what we're about to say to you, I think. Um, and, you know, like, I I don't know. But then I literally had someone on the download forum the day that that Depeche Mode album was released saying, thank, saying thank you to me for getting me into Depeche, fucking Depeche Mode. You know, they're playing stadiums this year. Like, there's always ways to get into music and to turn around and be like, don't review music, don't review music. Like, fuck off, Ed Sheeran. Go fuck yourself. Just because you get shit reviews. This is it, yeah. Yeah, someone who has just got, you know, the entire global audience in the palm of his hand getting shit reviews. I mean, basically, he's just throwing his toys out of the pram, isn't he? Um, Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think the thing is, Critical reviews, you know, <coughs> in whatever guise they are, whether it's on, you know, a blog, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's in a big mainstream publication, they are useful to the bands who otherwise aren't going to get that exposure. Because unfortunately, Ed, yes, everyone can listen to everything on streaming, but they can't physically listen to everything. So you need to have, um, you know, a trusted voice, a voice that you trust, whether it's a critic or whether it's a friend of yours or, you know, some sort of social media personality. If you trust the opinion, their opinions on any form of the arts they're the kind of people that you need to shout out these things that you're going to discover and enjoy because i mean you know we've just talked about that power trip festival lineup none of those bands are going to be playing live come 2030 it's like well who fills the gap if you don't listen to music that fits into a similar mold of that you what are you just going to sit at home in silence all the fucking time like when it comes to film um I don't consume loads and loads of film media, but I know if Mark Kermode says that something is really good, more often than not, I'm going to like it. In the same way that I know if Peter Bradshaw reviews something and thinks it's really good, I'm probably going to think it's absolute shit. So it's, I think it is really important in terms of just exposing yourself to other stuff. I also think, for me, the role of any form of arts criticism is not even just to sort of cheerlead or help promote album sales and things like that but just to have a wider discussion about the reflection of what's going on at the time in art i think the best art 
reflect and can also reject and kind of interpolate and um, try and figure out kind of what's going on in broader society. I mean, so Sugar Horse just released a song today as we record. And it's weird to look at the sort of, um, I don't know, the press release for it, where they are talking overtly about the political kind of statement that runs through it, which is not something they've really done. But for an, for an artist to do something a bit different and then explore well, just explore the world around them and the way that it informs what they're writing and what you're then going to hear. I think that is the point of art criticism, is to, yeah, to sort of challenge and discuss. It's not necessarily just to say, oh, Ed Sheeran's really shit. I mean, we could do that because he is really shit. And unfortunately, whatever fucking turd he curls out, everyone is going to hear, whether they like it or not, like you say, because it's fucking ridiculous and disgusting and terrible. I, w- I was in a cab... Uh, on the way to the train station from the stag do that I was on at the weekend and I sat in the cab and they went here's the new Ed Sheeran song oh he's diving we haven't really heard him go so personal before he's diving really deep into his demons and stuff and the lyrics were like I'm in the club dancing on my own with my eyes closed and it sounded like every other fucking Ed Sheeran song Mm. and I was like if this is your idea of somebody getting really deep into (laughs) and he just basically doesn't want someone like me turning around and going this isn't actually that deep really what you're saying isn't that he doesn't really want anyone to criticise him and that's fine also like you say like yeah you know the kind of pointing out that I, I think that you know often context and trying to to work i think you can enjoy music a lot more like you can enjoy films like mark is a great example mm. because you watch i've seen i've watched mark Kermode's reviews of films before and then gone in to watch the film with his context and i've also watched the film and then watched his review yeah and then after it's gone oh yeah that, fucking hell yeah, yeah i'm talking about that that, yeah. that makes that seem a little bit and look you know like i'm not saying that it's uh something which is equally as valid or important as the piece of art that you're consuming or like talking about or, or thinking about but I, I do think that you know when we do say that a classic album on something bring in the context of all the things that were happening around it at the time mm. i mean if i'd have just played you um listen without prejudice by george michael you might go oh that's a pretty good mm. pop album but if I bring you the context of George Michael's life and what is, was going on at that point and say, the reason this song sounds like that or looks like that or the reason this album is like this is because of A, B, C, D, D. Like, can you see? And then I think after you listen to it with that weight of context surrounding it, you can't just go, oh, just listen to it. Yeah. Like, you I- know, yes, yes, music should be able to, should and does stand up on its own and it has to be able to stand up completely on its own, I think. But I... I'm a firm believer that the the context of those things that surround it give it an extra you can get an extra level of enjoyment from it. Absolutely. Like definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. Art doesn't exist in a vacuum even if Ed Sheeran does. So fuck off you wanker. I wish he did in I wish he did exist in a vacuum. I wish he existed in a vacuum packed sandwich bag was, with no air in it. I was gonna say, which vacuum would you put him in? I think he'd look good in a Henry Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh, so there we go. Take that. Anyway, that's why he's, he's not coming on the show anytime soon, is he? He's welcome to come on anytime he wants. Anytime he wants. Um, like I've actually got no real. I think I said it before. I've got no real beef with Ed Sheeran, but like if he's gonna fucking start on on us, yeah, we'll just stand we'll just up for ourselves. Yeah, say your shit, mate. I'd take this anyway, from Matty Healy, but not from you. Not, not from, from you, Sheeran. Ron Weasley. <laughs> don't know who that is i do know who that is. anyway let's talk about depression mode memento mori is out you may well have heard it already it's the 15th studio album from the essex synth 
pop legends mm. the follow-up to their 2017 album spirit their final album with andy fletcher who sadly passed away late last year which i think we spoke about at the time uh well that obviously just talking about context gives you quite a lot of context going into this record uh, before you even heard a note um this is the first depeche mode album as a two-piece essentially mm. um but is it really because for the longest time martin gore has been the man who has basically created everything that depeche mode have been putting out since I think you would probably go all the way back to Ultra mm. in 1997 would probably be when Martin Gore really kind of fully took hold of the reins singularly. Yes. Um, Andy Fletcher was an important, an important member, an important part of the glue of Depeche Mode. But in terms of actual musical contributions to the record, I don't think you know it's fair to say that he didn't really bring that much to the band. But it's going to be hard for them as a band to be going into the studio, you know, now. <laughs> They've had a lot of members over the years to Pesh Mode. And I would say that going in with without Fletch for like the first time mm. ever is um, is obviously going to have something of an impact on the mindset going into this record. I think it's also worth saying, and I've already kind of hinted at this a little bit before we started the review. But we should point out the size of Depeche Mode, right? <sighs> Like I said, they're playing Twickenham in the summer. Yep. And they are, I would say Depeche Mode are deceptively massive. I think they feel like a cult band. And they feel like a band with just an absolutely like ridiculously hardcore fan base. But they are actually one of the biggest bands currently operating on planet Earth mm. at the moment, I would say. You are looking at a band that are comparable with whatever stadium act you want to put in front of them they are massive um and when you get bands like that i think 15 albums in should you really be expecting something great from a band who have to placate stadium size audiences i'm gonna say no you shouldn't no. and i think for me the last truly exceptional depeche mode album was playing the angel in 2005 yeah completely agree completely mm. agree yeah and I think it also means that you should have some sort of idea about what this is going to sound like if you are a fan. And maybe you should be wary of getting a little bit too excited. But it is hard, it's hard to not, not to. get too excited, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we were having the discussion with um, Jamie Lenman last year when the first Metallica single dropped. And it was like, I know exactly what it's going to be and i know i shouldn't get excited but i can't help myself because you know these bands um they do mean so much to so many people and they have ascended to the absolute you know top of the musical mount olympus and there's a reason for that you know they've made this music that resonates with so so many people and it's funny you saying deceptively big and cult band you know kind of in terms of the way they the way that people maybe have a read on them. So I've been lucky enough to see Depeche Mode twice already. Um, first time I saw them was the London Stadium, and it's like, fucking hell. I mean, it's it's full. You know, 150,000 people or whatever, or that's how many it felt like. And it's like, and it's full. It was like, and but everyone, like right the way back to the back of the venue, which is where I was, could feel that excitement of being at this band's show. I then went to go and see them... Um, uh, I believe it was, the, yeah, it would have been the following year. Uh, there's a brilliant little festival um, called Main Square in Arras, which is 20,000 people 
Um, I've been there now for three days over two years. I've seen Radiohead there, I've seen Queens of the Stone Age there, and I've seen Depeche Mode there. I mean, bloody hell, mate! You, the lineup this year doesn't look great, but it's worth keeping an eye out for that because um, it's in this little citadel within within the town, and being in. A, basically a courtyard with 20,000 French Depeche Mode fans screaming every single world. It's like, yeah, they do inspire a kind of cultish devotion. So I think it's impossible to not get excited about a band like this. You know, if you love them so dearly and even if you're not mad into them, there are these songs that everyone knows. Everyone knows Personal Jesus, for example. Everyone knows it. I mean, <laughs> there are plenty of others that everyone would I'd say Enjoy the Silence, you know, arguably. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... It's my favourite Depeche Mode song. I would say it might be my favourite song of the 1980s, potentially. I don't know. I absolutely adore that song. But yeah. What? Enjoy the silence Uh, by Depeche Mode. It's 1990, mate. Oh, 1990. Oh, okay. Well, then it's in a knife fight for common people. It is 1990, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But fine. It's my favourite song of the 80s, even though it didn't come out then. That's fine. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's hard not to get excited. And um. I mean, I don't know what your reaction was. Did you listen to both of the singles before they came out, Steve? I listened to Ghosts again. I was going to say this, right? So I listened to Ghosts again. And I really wanted to go, oh my God, Depeche Mode are back. Mm. And I didn't actually think that much of it. Now, I think when... I'm not even going to go back to the the kind of the, the, the old, old, old singles from back in the day but i think even when you think of i remember hearing uh where's the revolution which i thought mm. was fucking brilliant or wrong yeah as well if you go back to like 2000 like the first single um i would say soothe my soul from delta machine did a lot for me as well when it came out personally yeah that was cool yeah. um but i do remember being like to be fair depeche mode opening kind of singles first singles they fucking smash it every time mm. and i was slightly underwhelmed by it i mean maybe because i was just too overly excited but also because you know i just didn't it didn't feel like it had that kind of singly quality mm. that those other songs that i was talking about did i mean i think in the context of the album it's much better yes but i do still think even within the context of the album i am quite surprised that it was the first song they choose to release oh okay i mean uh maybe we'll get into that no go on what what would you say would be your pick for kind of lead single for this album because for the record, I, I, I liked Ghost of the Game when I first heard it. And then with repeated listens, I was like, oh, no, I, I like this a lot. And then in the context of the album, I mean, to be honest, I think it's... There are three songs on this that I think are absolute highlights. And I'd say Ghost Again is, is, is certainly one of them. It, it might be my favourite song on the album, to be honest. I think there is something about... Maybe it's a bit of familiarity, but I think the way that it comes in after My Cosmos is Mine and Wagging Tongue, and then it's the first time you finally get that explosion of arpeggiated synths that Martin Gore can craft so well. I just think, I think it's a superb song now. I would have said Before We Drown feels like the, the what I would have picked. If it was up okay. to me, I would have picked that as a first single because I think so much of that is down to Dave Garner and I think you would have wanted to pick. I think like, so this album, like broadly speaking, I think this is very good. Mm-hmm. right i think this is very good i'm not entirely sure where it sits in the pantheon of like great 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 depeche mode albums um but i think it's good and i think you know it is a markedly more downbeat record than the last f- there's nothing that is i mean you mentioned personal jesus there's nothing as kind of danceable no. as a personal jesus or a, a policy of truth or um you know, fucking 
even I know Where's the Revolution is a bit slower, but even that had a bit more of a kind of upbeat feel. I would say a bit more of a sort of upbeat, yes, yeah, strut to it as well. This is quite a this is quite a kind of, and I think it makes sense with you know obviously with a lot of it being written in the aftermath of you know Andy Fletcher passing away. I I think maybe they didn't want to do loads of mm. um, sort of upbeat songs. Um, you've also got a, you know incidentally I talked about Martin Gore writing all the songs. Richard Butler uh, wrote. I think seven songs on it. Richard Butler he used to be in the Psychedelic Furs. Yes. So uh, that's another band who bring a kind of very sort of stark, melancholic feel to something really, um, you know, really uh, melodic and you know a, a slightly gothy. But they're you know they're a band who were capable of writing big pop songs as well. And this is maybe because it's later in Depeche Mode's career, you get into like you know essentially obviously the end of their career. Mm. Um, it's maybe they feel like they can't do that anymore. Yeah. Whether it's, a, whether they feel like on this album, they don't want to do that anymore. But for me, there isn't a, a, there isn't a, um, there isn't a big banger on this album. There isn't a big kind of upbeat banging sort of synth pop. There's not a, you know, a barrel of the gun no. is not on here. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing like that on here, which is fine because Depeche Mode are capable of really, you know, ultimately doing about three or four things really, really well. Mm. For me, um, it's weird because I saw somebody saying that they thought the the second half of the album wasn't strong. I actually think the second half of the album is my... I think that is the strong point of this record. I think the second half of the album, from basically Caroline's Monkey onward, I think it's fucking brilliant. And Before We Drown, I think would have been a, a great one because it is gloriously, endlessly sexy and it's quite minimal. It, it, it does that with the minimum of fuss, and yet it grabs you immediately. I think that would have been a really good way to kind of tease you in mm. to new Depeche Mode because I think it's 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 not too downbeat, but it's still quite downbeat. But it's also very it's very catchy. So for me, that would have been it. People are good. I think would have been a decent uh -huh. sing, like first single as well. Um, but yeah, like that, that for me would have been the first song I would have released. Oh, okay. Um, it's not one that I would have immediately thought of, to be honest, before we drown. I think People Are Good would make sense as one. Although for me, I mean, I think that is a great song. I think it's Black Celebration, Black Celebration vibes, but kind of by way of some great reward. And yeah, I know it's a bit on the nose <laughs> that a song called People Are Good might kind of remind me of People Are People. But, you know, something like Blasphemous yeah. Rumours as well. I think it, it fits in that yep. kind of pocket. And I really, really like it for that. I don't think that's the absolute peak of the album. Um, to be honest, I would struggle to say that the first or second half is better than one another. I think this is remarkably consistent, but I just don't think it ever hits a great, great height. There are only two moments of this album that I would say I don't enjoy. One of them I find a bit perplexing, which would be the opening track, My Cosmos Is Mine. I think it's interesting, but it feels weird to start this album with this kind of... Uh, almost kind of, I don't know, tuneless, ambient, industrial monolith that never really mm. gets reincorporated back in. I mean, you do get it a little bit on the final song, Speak To Me, but that's kind of the code to that song anyway. So My Cosmos Is Mine, I think it's somewhere around the sound <coughs> of ultra, but so much more impenetrable. I don't think it gives much room to breathe. So that that's one that I'm not mad keen on. To be honest, the the only song I don't like on this, I think easily the worst thing on it, Despite the instrumentation that goes into its chorus, I think Caroline's Monkey is a massive misstep for me. I think it feels... Really? It is the one song that feels like it drags. And I think the verses in it have got too much of a plod where Dave Garn, like... 
let's be fair, not always been the greatest lyricist. You know, I think he's got some. He's got his moments. Well, it's Martin Gore's lyrics for the for the most part, isn't it? Oh, I, well, I suppose it is. Yeah, but I was I suppose I was thinking back to People Are People or something like that, which is a great yeah. song, but not not poet, not poetic. Well, in that case, I mean, I don't think either of them can handle drawing out quite an overwrought but kind of weightless metaphor for as long as they do i think caroline's monkey is is the one moment on the, on the album that i properly don't like i think the way it builds into its choruses is cool i think the verses drag far too much it's the only song on first listen it was the only song where i was checking the time code going core i'm only halfway through this that's funny actually because i think that is like you know I, I i think the first half of the record is good right i mean for example that plinky synth uh, of wagging tongue and mm. that kind of that would have been a good first thing which uh, yeah. watch another angel die hook is fucking great mm. you know i think um i sort of agree with you with my cosmos is mine it is an interesting way to open this record an interesting way and i think it's probably you know save for maybe the last couple of tracks it's probably the one that maybe harks back to Martin Gore's solo material mm. where he doesn't give a fuck about really like kind of crafting any sort of hooks at all. Um, but I think it's an interesting way to open the record. And I think it shows, you know, like this is not going to be again, like it's weird because it only sounds like Depeche Mode. Mm. It could only be Depeche Mode, but at the same time, it's not sort of Depeche Mode by numbers either, which no, I like, no, no, no. you know, I like that. Um, Ghost Again is good. I think Don't Say um, Don't Say You Love Me is... It's sweetest perfection. It's the lilt of yeah, sweetest perfection over again, which is fine. That's absolutely fine. But yeah, I not one of my I highlights. Think they, they, they make those songs very, very well. Yeah. Um, Soul With Me was one where I was like, that kind of cabaret feel to it, that kind of campy thing, I think is okay. Mm. Um, I usually like the Martin Gore fronted songs a lot, but... Well, I say that. I think the when Martin Gore fronts a Depeche Mode song, it can either be amazing or like some sort of drop off. And I think it's a slight drop off here. But then Caroline's Monkey comes in, and I think again, just getting just getting Garn back, and just getting like the. I think it's the most threatening that the record sounds. Mm. And I think you know, like we are not going to be the first people to pick up on Martin Gore's lyrics and go, it's a bit on the nose, like. Mm. It, they always have been. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, they always, yeah. like, yeah, always have been. He's kind of famously does that. But I think the cadence, I think what Garn brings to it, when he changes the tone and the cadence and it goes in that pre-chorus bit, I think it's fucking lovely. That, that and Before We Drown, I would be like, that's kind of the high points of the record for me. Oh, wow. I think pe People Are Good is great. I think Always You is a bit of a slow start, but I think the kind of the throb to it is really cool. And Never Let Me Go, which it's got a bit of fire to it i mean mm. that might be the most kind of fiery one a bit of nine chanel star guitar and i bet you know trent reza would probably slap me in the face for suggesting <laughs> that depeche mode ripped off nine inch nails but like there is a little bit of that and then you know you get uh speak to me feels like quite an epic way to end the record mm. and for what this record was sort of meant to be i think it's actually quite a nice way to end the record it feels I like mean, a for nice me, epitaph like, definitely yeah, I think ultimately, is this the, the best Depeche Mode album? No. no. Is it in the top five albums? No. Not a fucking chance. Top 10? Yeah. Maybe, just about. I mean, that's not banned. For a band that's deep into their career, that's okay. And I'd like to see a bunch of the songs in their set list this summer. I did actually look at the set list yeah, I'm, uh, I'm that they've been it. playing. Yeah, I mean, 
you could I could quadruple that and still not be happy to be fair. But <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. But but job done. I mean, you know, I'd say my main criticism of it, and it is only a kind of small one, is I would have liked one big euphoric banger in the mm. style of, you know, like Question of Time or Never Let Me Down or Policy of Truth or something like that. But that's it counts. really. Like yeah. this is this is good. Mm. Like it's really, really good. Um it's there won't be many bands as good as Depeche Mode or as big as Depeche Mode who write a fifteenth album as good as this. No. But yet how high is the fucking bar for Depeche Mode? It's so high. It's so high. It's like that Lamb of God. It's what we're saying about Lamb of God, but, you know, times by infinity. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I, I think this is a really, really strong album. Um, I did see the... Well, I'd be interested to get your take on it. And again, I wonder if there's an element of familiarity to it where, uh, that I don't agree with it. But I saw Enemies Review, which said this is the best Depeche Mode album of the 21st <laughs> century. Now, I would definitely still have Playing the Angel over it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But this is easily second place i'd say this is better than exciter i like sounds of the universe it's better than that um it's better than delta machine it's better than spirit i think this is strong and actually i think the fact that we're both coming it from quite different places i mean you you um you've mentioned in passing uh my kind of other two highlights i said ghosts again might be the sort of tip top for me my other two mm. would be Never Let Me Go, which continues to the great tradition of songs by Depeche Mode with Never Let Me in the title being fucking brilliant. Yes. I think that it's awesome. Yeah. You're right, having a bit more of a kind of noisy guitar thing going on, underlying it, I think it's cool. It brings a different texture and just livens it up a bit. And I think you're right. This is not an album that should be lively, given the context and subject matter that it, it deals with. But I did like having that there. My other highlight would actually be... Um, my favorite stranger which i think you know has that deep dark feel that you get in the axis of black celebration violet and ultra which hmm. broadly speaking well certainly three of maybe not my three favorite special albums but i think that that vibe that they go for on those albums when it goes real dark that's what i like and to have the kind of plodding ascending bass guitar against those noisy electronic guitar squeals i think is great i would say yeah those two in ghost again would be me at my my high point of this album, which I do think is okay. is a remarkably consistent album. And like you say, for a band 15 albums in, of the size they are, I think that in itself is very, very impressive. Yeah, me too. It's good. I mean, in terms of it being the best Depeche Mode album or the second best Depeche Mode of the 21st century, I'm going to say it's the third best. Ooh. I think Exciter is not great. No, Exciter actually. is probably, probably my least favourite of all of them, Exciter. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. I, I think that, you know, I remember liking it when it came out um because i was like oh but i think it's dated quite i think it's dated quite badly yeah. actually what they were trying to do there i think playing the angel is, is fucking great and that would be number one yeah. i think sounds of the universe is massively underrated i think that would probably be my i think it's i do think that's slightly better than this oh, okay um i think spirit is good but i think i would just about take this over this and i would definitely take it over delta machine yeah yeah definitely delta machine to be fair like as much as i like soothe my soul i couldn't tell you another track on it i think that's the mm, most forgettable yeah. album they've done yeah, whatever. Mm, I think a broken. I was going to break. I think a bro- broken frame's the worst. I think a oh, broken frame would be my least favorite, but I actually think that I remember more of it than Delta Machine. Yeah, that's true. Would be the the, the yeah. point. Yeah, but that was the first sort of their first go, wasn't it? Because it's after Vince Clark left. Yeah, to it, try and just basically go. Oh, we got to write all the stuff now. Have we fucking hell? <laughs> all right. Um. Anyway. Depeche Mode, Memento Mori. Don't sue them, architects. Don't sue them. <laughs> They're allowed to call it that. Done it well. <laughs> yeah, uh, is out now, and I hope you are enjoying it. Let's move on to an album that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago now. 
um, that we were going to do. And then obviously like drummer things happened and then we did the Q&A. It's Endless Summer Vacation by Miley Cyrus, the eighth studio album from the US superstar pop rock artist to follow up to her 2020 album Plastic Hearts, which I have to admit, I haven't listened to. Mm. I've only listened to bits and bobs of Miley Cyrus because, um, well... Uh, I just have only listened to bits and bobs. She's popped up in, you know, rock songs and stuff before. She covered mm-hmm. Metallica and whatnot. She's cool, isn't she, Miley Cyrus? She is cool. And I tell you what, she looks good on the front cover of this album as well, hanging <laughs> off of a thing. Hanging from her, a thing. Uh, hanging from a thing, yeah. Um, in a leotard. Good. Yes. In a leotard, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you? I, I, broadly the same, probably even less familiar. Uh, yeah, I think Miley Cyrus is cool, but I've only really <laughs> come to that conclusion in sort of the last three four five years before that you know i was aware of her as this kind of disney channel star who then did part in the usa and i was like god i can't stand that song and then a few years later there was the whole uh robin thick thing uh, at the vmas with wrecking ball happening and everything i was like oh no this isn't for me what's all this pop shite you know that was when i was like deep into kind of getting more and more into grindcore i would say it was probably around the time i was discovering napalm death so i think she could, could not have timed it worse in terms of trying to connect with <laughs> yeah. me but no i think miley cyrus is really cool i think um she is quite an individual performer even though broadly from what i can tell each of her eras has been trying to ape someone that she really really respects um but i mean i don't know that i oh in fact i do know i know that i've never listened to an album of hers in full um so this would be my first one where I've kind of sat, well, sat down and listened to it in full and also properly considered. I think she has got a string of bangers that I have heard. I've never been uh, sort of drawn in enough to want to investigate more myself. Um, and, well, I'll be interested to see what you think. I mean, to be honest, based on this, I'm not really that interested in going and finding more. I think there are great points on this album kind of marred in a sense of confusion where she is trying to bring together all of the things she likes in quite a disjointed manner, broadly speaking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we've got 40 minutes, we've got 12 tracks, we got uh, guest performances from Sia on Muddy Feet and Brandy Carlisle on, Thou- on Thousand Miles. Those two songs are both incredibly different from each other, but I would say, ironically, they are two of the best songs I agree. on yes. the record yes, I for me. Agree. Um, I think Brandy Carlisle, who is a pop tourist at this point, no <laughs> doubt, isn't she? Um, uh, really, really helps to um, give some gravitas to the thing that Miley was sort of most known for when she started out doing that kind of country pop thing. Mm-hmm. I think Thousand Miles is actually a lovely song. I'd heard Flowers on the radio. I remember thinking... Oh, this is cool. You know, it's it's cool. I think it's uh, you know, th- this. Look, I'm not going to say this is as, this, the same as the Pink album that we reviewed a few weeks ago because I think it is markedly better than that. Yes, because it has more dynamics for a start, and even when it is on that kind of more kind of low energy tip, for me, it still has comfortably better hooks mm-hmm. on it and it just feels like it's more engaging uh, i think flowers is a cool song although i don't i think if that's the lead single which i believe it is it i is, don't know yes. that it's like you know i don't think it's the the best like the best lead single i think it's all right you know it's decent in a mainstream pop classic kind of song um yeah you know it, there's bits and bobs on here which i think is quite good um you know i think handstand is got some sort of dreamy 80s feel to it which i quite like Mm -hmm. 
Um, but then there's stuff like River, which has got quite a good chorus in it. It nicks that kind of, it, well, it basically nicks that Lana Del Rey, I got the summertime, summertime <laughs> sadness. Like, um, but it gets a bit, it gets a bit Love Island music. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I feel like uh, the song Island, which is the second to last song, should be the sort of thing which I fucking despise because it does, it, but it does sound a lot like Laisa Bonita. Um which is one of the worst. Weirdly, my, my mate said that's his favourite Madonna song the other week. And I was like, no, it isn't. Don't be a cunt. Uh, <laughs> it's not your favourite Madonna. Like, no, it isn't. Um, but yeah, but there's not loads that I think is like really, really wicked. Muddy Feet, I really like because I think Miley sounds pissed. Yeah, her getting aggressive like, get, and snarling is really cool. Yeah, get the fuck out of my house with that shit. And then starts like properly roaring. Good times. I like that. Violet Chemistry, I think is really good. I think it sounds like something that could have slipped onto that last Paramore album quite easily. Apart from that, there's nothing that I love on it. It's nothing that I really love. I think this is a perfectly, this would be a perfectly decent five out of 10 pop album for me. Yeah, I think I would broadly agree with that assessment. I mean, Flowers, I, I do like actually. I think it is a bit of a banger. I like that it's quite loose and restrained, but relies on that kind of disco beat and soft bass guitar. I think the reason that that ended up being the lead single and the most talked about one, as I understand it, because I've not seen it, but it's because of the music video, because it's very, very much unsubtly talking about um, her last high profile breakup I can't remember who it was with so I don't want to cast aspersions on the other gentleman who may have been involved but um was it a he- was it a Hemsworth it might might have been yeah Liam the second best yeah. Hemsworth I don't know I mean I think he is the second best yeah probably is yeah but there we go whatever um who, who does your Hemsworths <laughs> can ask you some bit um but yeah <laughs> I, I actually really like flowers I don't think it's the best thing on here I agree um mm. yeah I think thousand miles is really really cool works nicely as a vocal duet between the two of them and I think Brandy Carlisle basically serves to kind of maybe take a bit of the weight off Miley, maybe take a bit of the strain off her on that song because it is immediately followed by You, which is more kind of liltering, liltering, lilting kind of swaggering feel and it really doesn't do it for me in a country pop vein. And ironically, I think an artist who did do it better last year was Noah Cyrus on their debut album. I think she Mm -hmm. was better at doing that kind of Mm. more like vulnerable kind of um yeah exposed country pop thing than miley can and to be fair you know miley's eight albums and she's moved into very different territories but i think that kind of countryfied thing just ain't working for her anymore it is it is from the- handstand where it goes synthy that i do think okay there's interesting stuff going on here i think muddy feet you're absolutely right her getting a bit more of the kind of it's a style that almost makes me think of Joan Jett a little bit. It's like not quite Riot Girl, but like pissed off rocker thing. But then in a synthy framework, I think it's really cool. Sorry, Steve, you're going to say something. No, I was going to say, yeah, you're right. I think that, you know, like she has done different things. And when I think of the Miley Cyrus songs that are, that are really great, like, I don't know what I just said about Depeche Mode. Let's have a banger. You get like two and a half minutes on muddy feet where you go oh we got a banger here we got an actual mm. fucking proper upbeat banger and there's not really anything else that's like that on the record and i think that is a bit of a shame um I... we've just basically proven ed sheeran's point here aren't we <laughs> i suppose so but we're going to talk about other things from smaller <laughs> bands in a minute so that's fine um i would say i think my major issue with this is that there's a lot of different things being attempted, very little of it sticks. And I think that is best exemplified by uh, Wonder Woman, the final song, the piano ballad. Yeah, I don't like that. I, I don't like, and to be honest, it's not even just the execution of it. It's just, to me, it kind of sums up what's kind of gone on for the preceding 40 minutes, where it just feels like a, a group of concessions to make 
a pop album in the vein of a pop album that's not very good basically it's like right well we've got to have you know the kind of tender country ballad now we'll have the one with the guest star that's a little bit better right now we can drop it down for a bit we'll change up into a kind of more synthy thing we'll do the love island song and now we'll have the like fully exposed piano ballad to round things out it's like it, it does feel very very much made by committee um obviously i don't know anything about miley cyrus's kind of writing process but i mean to me it doesn't sound like an album that's been written by the artist who is performing it which is not a bad thing in itself it's just that the execution doesn't live up to it well she started working with um with a geezer called michael pollack who right has has written a, a lot of songs mm. over the last sort of 10 years or so um <clears throat> and i think you can kind of I think his thing you can see his fingerprints are all over quite a lot of things. I mean, he's written some pretty or he kind of co-written some really good, you know, co-writer of Boys by Charlie XCX, which oh, okay. is a fucking big tune. But then, you know, he's um he's done he's done stuff with like Jason Mraz, Hailey Steinfeld, Backstreet Boys, Ben Platt. He's done like quite a lot of songs with Ben Platt. Um he actually co-wrote uh Cuz I Love You by Lizzo oh, okay. as well, which okay. is pretty good. But, you know, like, I mean, very good, I should say. Yeah. Jonas Brothers, Celine Dion, um, who else is... Uh, Katy Perry on that not very good Katy Perry album that came out in 2020. Mm. Um, Bieber, he's worked with. Demi Lovato. Uh, so a lot of the big... Maroon kind of- 5 as well. He's done, yeah, he's done a lot with... Ed Sheeran. He's worked with oh, Ed Sheeran unlucky. as well. Unlucky, Ed. Jennifer Lopez. He's worked with Burner Boy. Like, did a couple of... Did, like, a song on Resistance with Beyonce as well. Okay. Um, John Legend, Five Seconds of Summer, Lewis Capaldi, Selena Gomez. It's a mixed bag, to be fair. It's a mixed bag, which it tends to be with these mm. kind of people, I think. So, you know, fair enough. But, like, I think he's done quite a bit. And I think he's... That you, yeah. Like, when I look at the songs that he's written, I am like, okay. I've just looked at some of the songs he's written there. And I'm like, oh, you've actually written some good songs. But I was looking through it and I was like, you've done some stinkers. And on this record, every time he's got a co-writing... I mean, he co-wrote Flowers... It's funny Fair you enough. say that because I was going to say that Flowers, I do like the message of the song in that kind of like loving yourself and positivity thing, but then I've already got Lizzo doing it a hell of a lot better. So, Yeah, but he wrote, you know, like he did Wonder Woman. Uh, he did, But actually, like all the better songs, I shouldn't really give him any shit really because it's obviously not. There's a lot of writers. James Blake was a co-writer on uh, Violet Chemistry as well, which I hadn't it's, seen, but that's cool. James Blake, is he the mm. weird man who looks like a scarecrow? Oh, no, I'm thinking of James no, Bay, aren't I, I think. What, you're thinking of Wurzel Gummidge. Well, him too, yeah. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. This is fine. Yeah. We should probably talk about something else because... Let's talk about well, something I'm better. Aware that, yeah. End of Summer Vacation by Miley Cyrus is out now. Now, this is what you want to hear us talk about. 10,000 Gex by 100 Gex. It's the second full-length album from the US hyper-pop duo, the follow-up to their 2019 debut album, 1,000 Gex. We did... I say we... Myself, I did a Rioters review on that album a few years back with the fucking granddad. Um, <laughs> oh, God, young people, uh, they're using auto-tune. <laughs> All that. And I, although I didn't really like the record per se, mm. I liked the creativity of it. I liked the fact that it was all over the place. I liked the fact that I didn't really know exactly what it was. 
I did feel like there weren't many actual songs. But I thought it was odd. I thought it was weird. And mm. I thought it conjured up quite a lot of unusual... <sighs> There's a lot of like unusual... Um, what would I say? Uh, like imagery. Stupid horse. I just fell out on the porch. Yes. Send my money in my bank account. Oh, yeah. Like it, I was like, that's weird. It's bizarre. And I was like, you know, and I thought, well, this is kind of weird and bizarre and probably worth keeping an eye on. Since then, I've seen them live. I think they're hilarious live. They're hilariously all over the place live. Um, and I heard the song Doritos and Fritos on BBC Six Music, which just came on. And I was like, wow, what's this? This is really great. Mm. And then at the end, they went, that was 100 Gex. And I went, oh, shit. You know what they say? <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna adapt one of um, my uh, my ex-podcast hosts, um, as I tend to do, uh, old sayings. All the best bands leave hyperpop. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, but true. have they left hyperpop because i mean to me i mean hyperpop is such a weird nebulous term i was looking up the the wikipedia entry to see if there was a consensus on the genre and what mm. it said was i mean essentially it's kind of pricey it's taking influence and inspiration from a lot of the kind of more emo inflected pop rock music of the noughties and then sticking it through a filter of a load of distortion and putting trap beats on it and it's like I mean, that sums up a lot of this album. I mean, to me, I've heard things that I'm told are hyper pop. I'm like, well, there's nothing hyper about it. There's nothing really poppy about it. We did the Rosalia album last year, and it's like, well, there's no, no hallmarks to me that speak to hyper pop. This absolutely does, <coughs> because this is fucking all over the place. So I, uh, mm. the day this came out, obviously, we knew we were going to listen to it, and I had listened to it first, and I texted Steve, and I said, um, I'm... 20 oh no not even 20 minutes i think i was 15 minutes into this album this album's what 26 27 minutes something like that yes yeah, sure yeah, sure yeah. man um and i said i never thought i'd hear an album that starts with a riff that sits somewhere between crazy train by ozzy osbourne and screamage by therapy and then what three songs later i'm listening to a song called frog on the floor that reminds me at once of Chaz and dave presidents of the united states of america ween and real big fish all at the same time and then the song, uh, well, obviously Doritos and Fritos comes after that, which, yeah, I mean, you, I think you've said quite uh, quite a few times how much you love it. Strange, jagged, angular. The mechanical guitars on that are just absolutely ridiculous and the droning, infectious vocals. It shouldn't work, but it so does. It's then followed up by Billy Knows Jamie. Who saw, Steve, the heaviest breakdown of 2023 so far being on a 100 Gex album? Because it's an album that has, as I say, conjured up things like Primus and Therapy. Mm. And then you've got something that is like heavier than you could take every deathcore band on the planet and multiply their sound by one another and it is not as heavy as the end of billy no jamie billy knows jamie which is bit crushed to fuck to crush your fucking skull it's ridiculous this album but i think i love it i think i absolutely absolutely love it. absurd record and i'm glad you brought those bands up because look i so i said to merlin um because i'm always going oh you should do it and i was like i think louder and metal hammer can cover this band now yeah definitely right i definitely and i was going mate if limp biscuit had released this album as their comeback album there are bits on it or not all of it obviously no. but like there are bits and i think if limp biscuit had done this we'd all be going fucking batty for it it's brilliant mm -hmm. and he came back to me and he was like i hate this it's fucking stupid wacky shit and i was like yeah but you're you're wrong quite basic taste <laughs> like doesn't like anything kind of weird or not very commercial like i was like 
you, you like the stuff you like it to be very kind of straight down the line mm. you don't like mr bungle or anything like that right what? now idiot yeah i think when he you get fucking um the first song the dumbest girl <laughs> the dumbest girl alive and when fucking dylan brady <laughs> put emojis on my grave right in that i was like oh here we go yeah and it's a lot of like sort of pop punk meets metalcore meets eight bit stuff going on here. It's weird as fuck, but it's a it's clearly a song, right? It's an yes, actual song, yes. which is what I like. And like you say, yeah, like that kind of crazy train riff. I, there's so much like Hollywood Baby is wicked. It's so like an absolute banger. That was an, that was the, the next song they released, right? So I'd heard that as well. Right. Okay. Some forty one riffs and SoundCloud trap beats combined, really really good. Like you say, Flo- Frog on the Floor sounds like. B-52s or We Might Be Giants or President of the United States of America or like If Shiny Happy People by R.E.M. had a full frontal lobotomy. It is <laughs> fucking great. Yeah. Doritos and Fritos is a banger. Again, that bass line is mm-hmm. amazing and it is just like baby primus. I fucking love it. Um, Jamie smokes rocks until he gets sick. Like the beat down at the end, like you say, is amazing. This is like some kind of new metal banger from a band that were from like Chile or Portugal in 2001 <laughs> and just you know, could any any place that couldn't afford to have Ross Robinson and, and yeah, US yeah. M- major label money behind it, but that is actually a compliment. And I, and who would have thought that after that we get like one million dollars, which is some weird Primus obnoxious... bass guitar with Microsoft Sam voice uh, text to speech. Yeah, bizarre. and then you get kind of a bit of a slow bit of the album. So you get the most wanted person in the United States. It's sort of quite low energy. But then for a second, you think, oh my God, we're going to get an actual ballad. There's a song called I Got My Tooth Removed. And that turns into a fucking real big fish song. It's fucking bizarre. It is bizarre. Um, I, I've Got My Tooth Removed, I must say, is the one point of the album. I'm like, this is just a bit too much for me. I mean, it's still one yeah. of the best American ska punk songs I've ever heard, but it still sits in a thing that's not very good. I mean, that's the one bit where it's like, no, no, it's, it's too yeah, much. And like, it makes sense in the context of the album because nothing makes sense here. And it is just this mad, inimitable blend of naughty stuff. But <laughs> that bit I don't like. But then it saves it with Me, 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 the final track. Oh, is that, my is that Me, 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 Meme, Me, yeah. or Me, Meme? Well, there we go, Steve. There we go. But, mate, what a fucking banger. What about the chorus of that? And well, funnily enough that you should point out the the spelling of that song's title because it is so infectious and so hilariously self-referential. To be honest, Ed Sheeran wants to have a go at critics. I think 100 Gex have done a much better job of making critics seem redundant because this is a brilliant song that is just a fuck you to people straining and struggling to try and compartmentalise their song with the chorus that so you'll never really know no 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 anything about me a fucking great fucking great i want to see that at the reading main stage that'd be fucking unreal yeah i mean look the weird thing about this is is that we've like say when you compare it to primus and it would be really easy to go this is just a bunch of stupid kids doing stupid noisy weird computer game music and trying to annoy people but actually actually They've done something obnoxious and silly and playful and creative and instantaneous and fun. And yeah, I'm really into it. Like I say, if this came out as a Limp Bizkit album, we'd all be fucking pissing ourselves about it. Mm. But this isn't just a sort of silly thing that this band had done for memes. I think it's actually full of just really OTT influences from popular music over the last couple of decades. Yeah. Like when you think of like, um, what's the, the, the song that Charlie Brooker used for uh, the start of Screen Wipe? Like that is... That whole kind of 8-bit electro thing, it's been around for fucking ages. Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember who fucking did that now. But, um, but like, 
you know, it's a thing. Or Biz. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, there are bands that have been doing things that are similar to this. I just feel like 100 Gex have taken all of them and put them all together and they've made them really, really massive. And on the first album, there are a couple of songs where I go, I can kind of see that there's something mm. cool about this, but I'm not quite sure what it is. And it's quite alienating to me as a then, I guess, kind of 39, 40-year-old man. But now I think they've actually written some... Songs. really fucking cool songs yeah. like you know if you're shitting on this and going oh it's not real music and, and you like like i say shiny happy people or build a little birdhouse in your soul or love shack like you can't really slag this off no. because it's the same fucking thing uh i i'm in on 100 gex now yeah me too i'm fucking i'm i am in on this i think it's dead good this is proper fucking good this is a really really good album and you know of everything that we're reviewing this week it's the one i've listened to the most i've listened to this upwards of 10 times and i still can't quite make head nor tail of everything that's going on but it doesn't really Mm. matter because it's just so enjoyable every single time it's on and it's so short that you don't get exhausted by it like you just don't it could be it could be exhausting i think i think if this ran for another 10 minutes it would be too much i think 20 six 27 minutes is exactly how long it needs to be i think they've pitched it really really well and the fact that you know i can listen to this album that does have all these weird things going on and an album that does remind me of real big fish so often and there's only one song on it that <laughs> i don't like i mean well done well done well done Ten thousand gex by 100 gex is out now we're going to move on and usually this would be the weirdest i mean coming off the back of it JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown's Scaring the Hose collaboration album, uh, collab album, the first collab album between two of what I would say most of two of the most interesting rap artists of the last decade. Um, again, you know, pretty excited about this, but I tried hard to temper my expectations a fair bit as well because some of these types of albums are not always as good as you might quite like them to be. Mm. Um, I love Danny Brown. I really, really loved that last JPEG Mafia album. And I think, you know, he was someone who did something a bit like 100 Gex where it got a bit more normal on mm-hmm. that last album. The one before that, I actually, you know, I, I really did like the material prior to, fuck me, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head now. But anyway, the the stuff, um, you know, the Cornballs album was weird, whatever the fucking Cornballs album was called. But that was a weird album and it got a little bit less weird. So I was wondering how will JPEG Mafia um, and his weirdness... Um, coexist with Danny Brown and his very, very unusual attack mm. of a vocal melody. Um, you into these two individually and then collaboratively, Sam? Um, I think it would be over, over, over-egging it to say that I was into them. I, I've heard bits and bobs of their separate material and thought, wow, that's really interesting. I'm not sure I quite get it. Um it's always been something that's intrigued me and I feel like it's, it's something I want to then go back to more and more often and try to explore even more. I mean, especially now that I have, you know, started to delve a bit deeper into the kind of the weirder end of contemporary hip hop, like your Billy Woodses and things like that. Um, but this, uh, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect with this album coming and having listened to it a fair few times, I still don't know if I've really got a handle on it because it's this really interesting collision of traditional styles and i guess kind of weird glitchy electronica in a some mm. of which actually reminiscent of 100 gags i mean lean beef patty when it comes in it is proper eight bit style bleeping when it starts mm. up and the fact that they take those two things and put them together with this weird kind of fractured interpolation of 
a lot of big bands <coughs> and stuff like that. I mean, there's you know, there's brass all over this album, densely layered underneath all this distortion. I mean, it's it's. I still struggle to get my head around it, but yeah, I'm I'm very impressed by a hell of a hell of a lot of it. I think on something like Step a Pig, the second track, where that great heavy grooving bass comes in and the two of them are playing off against each other, racing long. Um, like I mean, the the flow that they are able to get through this, like like you have said before, flow is not necessarily about how many words you can fit in, but about getting that feel and that kind of looseness and making it feel so off the cuff. And they absolutely do that, even though they're both going at a million, billion miles an hour. It's staggeringly impressive. Um, there's definitely a high point for me. There is one track on the, on this I think is absolutely amazing. I think we'll probably come to that in a minute because I bet that you absolutely love it as well. But I mean, Steve, um, you're more familiar with these two artists. Would you say this is what you would want from the two of them sort of smashing their heads together like this? I think it's what I want. Yeah, it's sort of. I don't. I don't really would want to say that I expected or wanted to expect or tried to expect anything really because I don't necessarily think that you can go. Ah, yeah, you know, this is what Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia combined will sound like mm. because they're both very, very difficult to pigeonhole on their own. Mm. So, kind of knowing what they'd pick to get and create together. Um, but yeah, like there are there are plenty of callbacks to JPEG Mafia's previous work, which I think is good. Um, Danny Brown for me is in terms of who lyrically kind of steals this album. I would say he's the uh, the the gold. St- I, th- I think as much as I like JPEG Mafia, I, I'm a, uh, like and the bars that he brings this are. are good Mm. i think danny brown has just got something else about him that really makes everything seem just odder and more kind of warped and unusual um like when there's there's that song um garbage pal kids which Mm. has lots of kind of like it starts like a nintendo quote and there's sort of clapping and japanese like chanting over the top of it and danny brown just goes eat your ass like it's cannabis that, that line and just like what the fuck is going on it's it bizarre. it's warped yeah. it's a lot of it is warped um i'm wondering if you're going to say uh fentanyl tester being the best song because that's got a big break beat with kelly's yeah um kelly's milkshake um being chucked in there which I, I think is fucking absolutely cracking uh fentanyl uh, fentanyl tester no is not my favorite song it, it's high up in terms of like high points for the album it's not my favorite i did just think with that one it's like bloody hell if beyonce couldn't clear a sample i mean this is jpeg mafia and danny brown just actively spitting in people's faces isn't it but they put yeah. it off really well no funnily enough my god f- loves you is your best song right no it would actually be oh, perfect okay. song that comes after Fentanyl Tester, which I think is oh, okay. amazing. It is so at once deliberately obnoxious in the way that it kind of fractures and pulls apart and deconstructs and reassembles this kind of big band break, essentially. But then it is so mm. reverential in using it for such grandiose purposes. I think it it's absolutely sideswiping and gargantuan. I think that is easily my favourite thing on here. And this is a, it's a strong album all the way through, even if I don't necessarily understand all of it. Oh, I think there's nothing on here where I'm like, right, that's not very good. I think all of it is really, really strong, but perfect for me. Easily, easily the high water mark. Okay, yeah. Um that that is yeah, I do I do like that song as well. I mean I would say like here's the thing, like essentially, um 
the old school funk that they take on God Loves You and then they just seem to beat the shit out of it, mm. I think is great. I think Danny Brown particularly just causes chaos yeah. in here. There's a, a song called Orange Juice Jones and it's like, oh, that's um like a nice sort of soul thing. And then Danny Brown just goes... It just sort of basically ruins it by being completely <laughs> obnoxious. There are loads of samples. I'm just looking at the amount of samples on here. There are samples on here from the likes of P. Diddy Genuine, of samples of songs by P. Diddy Genuine, NSYNC, uh, Kanye West, uh, Talib Kweli, Common, Michael Jackson, uh, Rob Bass, fucking um, <laughs> the WWE. <laughs> uh, there's a there, there's a lot, right? There's a there's a lot of different samples on here. And um, LL Cool J's on there as well. Like it's got, like it's a very heavily sampled and it's distorted and fucked up, warped version of that. Yeah. And look, I, I, I was going to say I think Danny Brown of the two of them steals this album, but maybe I would think there's an argument to say that actually the music kind of steals this album ahead of the pair of them. Mm. Um, I said once, um, and I kind of broadly do stick by it. For, in terms of what I like is that if you get a great MC you can have quite basic beats mm. and if you've got a really like world class MC they can rap over me like clapping my hands mm. and it'll sound mm. fucking amazing right um, and you know I think hip hop albums can survive uh, and be considered great even without like really really amazing production if you have a world class MC over top of it I think hip hop has changed quite a lot over the last sort of seven or eight years right it's changed quite a lot and i think kind of lyrical flow and dexterity and you know the amount that as far, like you say as fast as you can spit bars mm. and stuff it's it's stopped being as important and feel has started to become much more important and i think on this record it feels like um a kind of iconoclastic destruction of all of, of a lot of things that had come before in hip-hop it's almost like a kind of you know slitting the throat of loads of sacred cows and just sort of destroying it um and i think musically they've managed to make all these things that they're ultimately kind of shitting all over mm. sounds really really good um i think this is an example of two really good mcs in fact one absolutely exceptional one going on really hard on the kind of package that they've created it's a bit hit and miss overall it's quite a scattershot record i think it's a good album mm. but i do think that like i think the idea and the execution of it is maybe um like that they're, they're slightly missing each other i think the idea is great and i think when it hits i think you've mentioned a couple of songs that are, that are really good i think we've probably you know like for me lean beef patty step a pig garbage pile kids fental tester perfect god loves you jack harlow combo mill uh, fucking great mm. they're all fucking great but it's 36 minutes it's you know when you said like 10 more minutes of 100 gex you might get a bit exhausted you've got that extra 10 minutes here yeah and i think this yeah. probably is like it's weird and wild in a in a different sort of way to what 100 gex was i think this is decent it ain't gonna be troubling like atrocity exhibition for no no to be fair like they're the you know the 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 sort of the high Dueling watermark for what yeah. yeah for what these guys are doing but it's okay um strangely i think i like it more than you but i mean maybe it's just the kind of weird wonderful scattershot nature of it and maybe it'll be something that i kind of chill out on as we go um to be fair though i would say that with 100 gex i think because they 
they seem to want to insert so much into everything. There's very, very little room to breathe on that album. I mean, like you say, um, I got my tooth removed. You think, oh, we're going to get a ballad, and then it goes bananas. <laughs> on here, you do at least have something like God Loves You, as you say, brilliant song, really, like, speaker-shatteringly distorted. But then you get it followed up with Run the Jewels, which, comparatively, a lot more groovy, a lot more airy. So I think there's, there's a fair amount here that is going to keep me intrigued for a very, very long time. Um mm. How much of it I will end up going back to in full, I don't know. I did see, though, that this has been referred to as uh, Scaring the Hose Volume 1, so I wouldn't be surprised if we get this sort of second part, um, if not many, many more in the very near future. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of it goes. Mm, yeah, I'd be interested to, to, to see what where else they go because it is interesting at the very, very least. Mm. It's definitely interesting. So there you go, Scaring the Hose by JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown. That is out now. Coming out today, today, if you're listening to this podcast, the day that it comes out, The Seventh Son by Berry Tomorrow, the seventh studio album from the UK's finest metalcore band. Yes, right, I said it. Ooh. I said it. Not a lot of competition in there, really, no, to be really. fair. <laughs> Yeah, I but mean, hey, yeah. you know, like they say in football, you can only beat what's put in front of you, and Berry Tomorrow do. Uh, this is a follow up to their 2020 album Cannibal. Let's be honest here, right? Berry Tomorrow do a thing, mm. and it's a thing that I, as I have discussed quite readily, am not always that fond of as a genre. Mm. But it's also a thing that I don't think is strictly inherently bad. It's just got so many wank bands <laughs> that make it seem like bad and make it seem like a shit genre because they're wet or generic or incapable of writing good songs. And I don't think you could say that about Berry Tomorrow for the most part. I think they're good. What do you think about Berry Tomorrow, Sam? Um, I've never had a great sort of kinship with them, but the few bits that they're... Like, there are a few albums of theirs that I do have, you know, own, uh, whether it's on CD or digital or whatever, that I do quite enjoy. Like, I, I, I think that Cannibal, when it's at its best, um, basically when they get, hit the great uh, axis of... Uh, melody and heavy i mean i know it's the metalcore playbook but when they do it as well as they do do it i mean between jason cameron and danny winter bates on the title track cannibal it sounds fucking brilliant i think black flame was a really strong album um what was the one before it earth something earthbound Earthbound. yeah it's got some great songs it's got the one with jamie jaster on yeah i liked earthbound but um yeah the they're not a band that i absolutely adore i think when they're good they're really fucking good um Weirdly, I think for me, I think they are getting better as they go on, though. I think uh, Good As Earthbound was, I preferred Black Flame. I think I preferred Cannibal to Black Flame. And I think I prefer this to Cannibal, to be quite honest. Yeah, so we should say Jason Cameron left the band. He has. And he has been replaced by Tom Prendergrass on keyboards and clean vocals. And he's been uh, replaced by Ed Hartwell on rhythm guitar. So now, uh, Barry Tomorrow are a six-piece. Mm. And... I thought when I heard the fact that they're bringing a keyboardist in, someone for synth. I mean, you know, um, architects have done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done. They brought. They're all trying to get a Jordan Fish, basically, aren't they? That's yes. what I thought. Oh, well, everyone's hmm. going to try. All these lot now are going to try and get a Jordan Fish, and quite a lot of bands have done that. And the net result of that tends to be whether you're While She Sleeps or Architects, who have both released albums that I really, really like. But ultimately, those bands are looking more at daytime radio one playlist, bigger venues not quite as heavy and i thought to myself hmm maybe having not really ever gone down that route maybe this is the point where berry tomorrow are going to do that mm-hmm. and actually they've gone in the opposite direction and this is potentially i would say the heaviest berry tomorrow album 
Danny, his vocals in particular, are nasty on this album. Like, he sounds feral. And I think it actually works brilliantly to have him doing that with, um, yeah, Tom Prendergast being brought in because I think his clean vocals are marvellous and I think they make such a good foil to it. On the opening track, you know, uh, The Seventh Son, the, the title track, it is proper groovy and I think that alone justifies... Um, I think backs up your argument and justifies Barry Tomorrow as one of, if not the absolute best of this crop of bands. Like, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. The fact that you have got something like a band that does that is crushing and high energy, rollicking metalcore, that doesn't just feel like a trite set of cliches massed together, I think is incredible. Um, begin again, <coughs> gets a little bit more into kind of linking parky territories for my taste, but again, they still pull it off. I think... Um, Tom's woozy clean vocals over the electronic sounding percussion. It has got a feel of that new metal to it, but it still sounds like Berry Tomorrow. It's just another style they're putting in. Bolt Cutter is basically like their yeah. version of Bottom Feeder. It's fucking brilliant. Mm -hmm. It is just absolute balls to the wall savagery. Um, I think if there's one moment, there maybe two moments on this I'm not mad keen on. I think Majesty um, kind of just giving almost giving Tom the majority of his song with just kind of um, keys, you know, whether it's kind of like a clean piano or kind of more electronic keyboard. It does feel like it's getting a little bit too close to a one-size-fits-all piano ballad in his vocal delivery. I think it's when he's a part of the rest of the band that he really shines. I think um, The Carcass King maybe doesn't really work as a finale. It doesn't feel like it really resolves the album but i think basically everything else all the way through it is great recovery has got a proper pop chorus that is still delivered mm. like absolute you know gargling nails um i mean that that is set to dominate the download main stage when the band are given the chance to go and do it again yeah yeah i mean in on this you know look yeah i think this is very good actually i think this is yeah amongst the strongest berry tomorrow records i'm not gonna say it's definitely their best but i think it is arguably their best i mean yeah it's they to me excel where a lot of some of these other bands don't excel is when they are heavy they can be legit fucking heavy yeah. heretic is fucking heavy hmm. and the stomp uh on a song like care is mm -hmm. that's not really metal core anymore is it like you mentioned new metal i think like they to me, when I think of like modern metalcore, I mean, you know, when we previously spoke about like the Devil Wears Prada's last album, which I think is like, you know, compared to this, is so fucking anemic. And oh, I know God, we said yeah. it was anyway, but like, or a band like We Came as Romans or something, it's just like, like the shit you do, it's not actually very heavy. And when kind of quote unquote proper metal people go to slag off this type of stuff, it's because I do think so many of them have one eye on like, can we infiltrate those Linkin Park casual mm. pop rock, uh, more mainstream people? And you listen to this and just think that they, if they do care about that, then they, <laughs> they're hiding it well. They're, they're, they're not really, very, you know, like, they're not great marketing. They're no. not great at marketing themselves. Because if they're trying to do that, like, I know, I know what these people who like pop music will like. Danny Bates sounding like fucking George Corpse Grinder Fisher. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah. think that they're, they're, they haven't really thought it through if that's what they're doing. So, <laughs> and I don't think they're stupid. So I think I know exactly, I, they seem to know exactly what they're doing. You know, there is like Force Divide, like you say, it goes really fucking hard. Mm. It goes fucking hard, man. And, you know, yeah, I do, th I think Tom Prendergrass's um, clean vocals, 
like I actually thought you know I think Jason Cameron used to get quite a bit of you know like there was a few people I heard go oh you know the clean vocals aren't good enough I actually thought he was pretty good I, you know, I thought he was good. pretty good yeah. I always thought he was pretty good but I do think that you know when you hear this new stuff it does I think it's just the hooks feel a bit feel a bit better I mean you mentioned Majesty and yeah I can see what you're saying it is going for a kind of synthy stabby bring me the horizon 10 years ago type thing it's a formula that's been aped a lot in that post sempaternal thing mm. but I think if you get it right it is undeniably very very strong and I think the good thing about Majesty is that again it goes really fucking hard at the mm. end it goes heavy it doesn't just stay there you know it doesn't just go oh we'll, we'll, we'll do quite a kind of piano ballady, you know electro new metal pop rock thing but then we won't give it the payoff at the i think you know they they give it the fucking they give it payoff at the end yeah mm. um and it's sandwich, and yeah i think sandwich between roth which is just a d beat fucking absolute beat down and like you say heretic yeah. which has uh we haven't mentioned yet guest feature from loz taylor from while she sleeps on it who to, yeah. i'd say compared to danny on this album actually sounds like he's struggling to keep up with the kind of ferocity mm. i think yeah th- this is impressive and like you say very very heavy and you just don't expect metalcore bands to be heavy these days unless they're old school <laughs> metalcore like converge or people like, like ithaca yeah. and all that you know i know they're not old school but they take more from that you know bands who prefer poison the well to fucking asking alexandria yeah I, i'm glad i'm glad that this is this sounds like this to be honest because you know like look the last architects album was in my 20 yeah you top 20 albums really of the year. I, I, yeah. and i still listen to it i think it's really really good but you know it's more of a it's more of a kind of poppier thing mm-hmm. and you know i just think it's nice to see because you 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 see bands take that route but, but when it gets to the point where you see bands take that is the only way that these bands go that's something again that you know we don't just hate metalcore see we like this mm-hmm. it's just that when people th- the one i don't like is people think it's the only good type of music which there are a lot of them hanging around the fucking internet but also it all seems so formulaically laid out the career path seems so oh it has to be like this mm. and Barry tomorrow proving that it doesn't have to be like that it doesn't have to be like that you can write an album which you know is this better than this is better than the last couple of while she sleeps albums oh yeah oh yeah yeah i think this is like, better than the last two architects albums personally as well i think it's better than anything bring me have done since 2013 as well i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't I wouldn't strictly disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so well it is done, good. Lads. Well done. It is good. Very, very good. There you go. If you, I don't like, I was going to say, if you're one of those people who've been waiting for us to be nice about a kind of modern metal band, um, there you go. But I would imagine they've all They're probably gone, gone. And it won't happen again, so don't worry. Like We've, we've done our one. It's probably not going to happen. <laughs> we'll have to wait till the next Barry Tomorrow album. Long time, yeah. But there you go. Seventh Son by Barry Tomorrow. It's out now, as is. Praise a Lord who chews but does not consume, open brackets, or simply hop between worlds, close brackets, by Eve's Tumor, the fifth full-length solo album from the electro-rock artist Sean Bowie, a.k.a. Eve's Tumor, the follow-up to his 2020 album Heaven to a Tortured Mind, record he supported nine inch nails three times last summer and i didn't see any of them because ah. like a fucking bellend i was like no support bands when you're watching the bands that you love are a fucking way like, I, sometimes I, I love a band so much where i'm like i don't give a shit who's supporting them couldn't give a shit and so i didn't watch Eve tumor at all but then i did watch his glastonbury set on iplayer mm. 
And I was like, ah, you fucking fucked it, you idiot. Well, if it makes you feel any better, um, so the only thing I know about Eve's Tumor, beyond the fact that they as an artist are incredibly well-respected by by the kind of publications that I like, basically, the quietus, you know, people who like their music a bit weird and esoteric. Um, the only thing I knew about Eve's Tumor prior to that was <coughs> that I didn't really enjoy their set at Brixton. It just didn't quite work. Um I think a lot of that was just to do with the fact that Brixton can have really, really shit sounds, so it didn't quite translate. But there was just something a bit... I mean, it's, it sounds weird to say it at a Nine Inch Nails gig, but there's something a bit incongruous about the sounds I could hear in the performance that I was looking at. Um, so I'd not really um, delved in at all. But then I saw this was coming out, I thought, ah, give it a listen, see what it's like. Um, and I didn't expect it to take from so much of a kind of like loose, rattling, kind of loose alt-rock framework and then inject it with some really really strange and quite angular experimental electronic bits um i think it's really cool i think meteora blues it's funny that we we're talking about linkin park on the last one and then we've got a song called meteora blues which has nothing mm. to do with linkin park it's no an acoustic formed kind of downtrodden swaggering ballad and then when it does get a bit more distorted um kind of towards the end of its verses and into its pre-choruses almost gets a bit i mean to my ears a bit kind of smashing pumpkins and it's like low slung yep. refrain i think those big br- tune the breathy like um vocals that uh tumor gives us that kind of interweaves all of those things together you're right makes it into a sublime fucking banger i also think then on the other side you've got something like parody which is real kind of histrionic like loose falsetto that i don't know it kind of feels like a laid-back psychedelic track and, you know, those things are only an interlude apart, a 40-second 40, 40 interlude. And yet it feels like a lot has happened in a very, very short space of time. Um, what are you saying on this, Steve? I mean, Eve's Tumor, have you listened to them outside of this album and the Glastonbury set? Yeah, my girlfriend really uh, likes oh, Eve's okay. Tumor oh, a lot. And she was like, oh, my God, you should listen to this. And I was like... The Nine Inch Nails support yeah. that you weren't bothered about going to. <laughs> and she was like, oh, fucking really? I didn't know. And she didn't know. Oh, right. So she didn't, because she's like, if I'd have known, I'd have been, because she kept saying to me like, oh, listen to this album. It's really good. Listen to this album. It's really good. And so then after this, I did. And so, um, yeah, I listened to Heaven to a Tortured Mind, the 2020 album. Mm. And I think it's really, really good. I think this is killer this record i think mm. it's better i feel like i'm quite new to Eve's tumor and i feel like i am now a fan i think it's weird because god is a circle is a decent way to start mm. a record but oddly i think it's probably one of the least exceptional songs on the album this kind of noisy glam punk thing it's fine um lovely sewer is when i was like oh wow mm. this is happening because it's got that kind of resner style night snails bass throb really really soaring vocals you've mentioned um meteora blues and parody um i think heaven surrounds like a hood is a hell of a trip like mm. i think that's an incredible song that goes to so many different places from shoegaze to alt pop to like really kind of dark gothic things i think you can hear like the earthling era bowie influence david bowie that is hmm. um on um on operator yeah. like really coming to a fort which is a thumping tune which also for us nerds who love things we, we get be aggressive by faith the more at the end don't yeah, we as well we do we and do. we're like oh that's really good as well mm-hmm. um and it, it gets i think it, it's one of those ones that gets kind of better and better and better because i think 
the voice of the soulfulness of the mm. vocals mixed with so many great bass lines. I mean, this is a if you're a bass player, you're a, you need to play bass, don't you? I do indeed. I mean, this is a great. How album good for is me. the fucking yeah? How good is the bass in this? Like really, really amazing bass on um, Echolalia, and then Fear Evil like Fire mm. again. Just. Uh, rock music and this is rock music right you know don't be kind of fooled into thinking that this is anything else because i think you know th- th- this is essentially like rock music i think most of the things that i am uh going to refer to is rock music it just has a really unusual soulful feel to it and it's not really like anything else that necessarily i don't say that actually like we've been talking about algiers and young fathers over the last couple of weeks mm. i think those are both artists who also bring this kind of soulfulness to it but maybe not quite in the same way as these tumor does um there's an instrumental track which i would normally be like oh instrumental tracks but purified in the fire mm. an instrumental track with these kind of imposing horns and break beats are amazing and then the last song ebony eye i think is glorious yeah just glorious just like harping horns swooping strings dark deep bleak black threatening menace and yet like i say a real cool soulfulness to it as well i think this album is excellent it's basically a bunch of stuff that you've essentially heard from david bowie trent reznor smashing pumpkins stone roses whoever melded with this incredibly cool soulful like basement jazz club kind of feel i think it's fucking great this record i really really like it yeah if you like weird the weirder end of alternative rock there is no reason you shouldn't be checking this out i think this is really really strong indeed um i'm glad you mentioned purified by the fire because actually i think um fear evil like fire and purified by the fire not just <laughs> for the namesake the fact that they share us uh, share a word i think they work really well as a one too where you've got that really racing melody on fear evil like fire and then yeah a kind of weird kind of industrial coda that does come in the form of an instrumental track in purified by the fire i think it's great and yet ebony eye i mean the words i've written for it jubilant triumphant i think it is a superb finale too yeah really really strong record that you're right yeah, I... when i when i first put it on and god is a circle came on it's like i mean it's a strong start but it's not captivating like everything that comes after it is really really good yeah it's dead good this record i think you should go and check it out if you haven't praise the lord who choose but which it's a long time praise it yeah, yeah, yeah praise the lord who choose but which does not consume or simply hop between worlds that's the name of the album that's the one it's east tumor yeah so there you go uh let's move on we've got a couple more albums to talk to and then we'll be out of here because it's been quite long this podcast hasn't it i said mm. it would be <laughs> rot by ohms the fourth full-length album from the uk melodic sludges the follow-up to their excellent 2020 album close now paul waller the lead singer of ohms told and us when jam. he was on the show no, and the j- yeah. no not him <laughs> no uh told us when he was on the show last year that this record is hugely influenced by the music of Duran Duran. So <laughs> let's see. Was he just saying that to get me excited or did he mean it? Now, if you're listening, Paul, um, and you are listening, let's be honest, he yeah, loves it. Yeah. He absolutely loves this podcast. He's it. definitely listening. <laughs> you are listening, Paul, aren't you? I mean, if you can hear this, you can't go, no, no, I'm not. Because he, <laughs> this is a great, we've, we've trapped him, Sam. Because uh, if he says, no, no, I wasn't listening. Hoisted then, by his own petard. Then we go, ah, how did you know? <laughs> ah. Um, so, yes, uh, unusual to think 
that are kind of sludge metal band mm. from the UK um, who have basically made an album essentially about horror movie tropes, which is basically what this is, would also chuck in the influence of Duran Duran. But uh, Body Melt does sound a bit like the opening to The Chauffeur. Uh, Eaten Alive stops and starts in the same way as Union of the Snake. I've heard it, yeah. And Blood Feast has a touch of that Le Bon up and down vocal from the song New Religion. So yeah, this just sounds like Duran Duran to me. <laughs> does it just sound like Duran Duran or does just it sound like only... Melvin's playing kind of upbeat sludge tracks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, look, it doesn't, obviously. <laughs> but I think what's good about this, right, is this has got some serious fucking hooks all over oh, the place on it. mate. Yeah. It has some exceptional riffs as well. It is, I think it's much more openly riffy Mm-hmm. than the previous album close which i thought was a great record yes like i thought close was was really really good i thought it took a lot of listening to to kind of unpack everything i feel like this is a little bit more um instantaneous i think the way that paul yells jessica on that first track mm. let's scare jessica to death is fucking brilliant i mentioned blood feast um has this brilliant hardcore riff on it and paul properly yelps throughout it like Simon Le Bon. It's got a bit more of a straightforward and instant feel to it than the last album throughout this, I reckon. But at the same time, it's really heavy. It's very, very catchy. Um. Anyway, sorry, Sam. Go on, you say something about it. Uh, I was kind of surprised that um, on paper, an, an album that does take so heavily from sludge metal and then has kind of Brit rock or even post-hardcore kind of vocal production could work as fucking brilliantly as it does. But this album is absolutely <laughs> superb. 37 minutes in and out. It does not waste a second of your time. It is, like you say, so hooky and so riffy. And like, I, I liked Close a lot. I'd seen Ohms a couple of times prior to the release of that album. And I remember thinking, these guys are really, really cool. But I did always think, ah, you know, like they're really good they'll do the Boston music rooms or whatever. Um, and they should be very proud of that. You know, they've, they've made some incredible music. I mean, this, though, this, I genuinely think this is on another level from what they were doing. I think they've absolutely outdone themselves. And I gotta say, man of the match. I mean, Paul's vocals across this, he's able to bring so much melody and so much sort of gravitas and grit to it as well. Like, it's not like it's all clean singing or anything like that. He can still And fucking... personality as well. well. Yeah. Loads of personality, yeah. Absolutely. So much charisma running through it. I mean, it's just fucking brilliant. I mean, I don't know how many times I could kind of go through track by track and say, oh, I really like it when it's dark and distorted and grisly and sludgy. But then there's a really, really cool hook that breaks through and just makes it absolutely amazing. So I will save it all for what I think is my favourite track, my favourite own song today, um, Sisters, I think. It's crunching, colossal, battering groove. I fucking mm-hmm. love it. And the fact that it starts off like that and then drops down to this quieter space and then by the time you get to the end of the song, it has built back up to even more just cataclysmically, just all hell breaking loose, contained chaos. It's fucking glorious. I, well well done, Ohms. What a good bunch of riffs. You know I'm a sucker for a dual vocal thing, and that dual vocal on Sisters is it Nick Rhodes? Is that is <laughs> doing it? We do, we don't know, but it might be. I mean, yeah, like that is fucking awesome. I'm gonna say, I mean, it's the first song I heard from the record, I think. But the the Mephisto waltz, right? Also brilliant. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> if if this was 2002, that would be getting played on daytime, or should be getting played on daytime 
MTV2, mm. Kerrang TV on fucking loop, yeah. right? It is basically a really, really heavy, slinky garage. I'm going to say pop rock banger. Yeah. I'm going to say power pop banger, right? It is fucking brilliant, that song. It's just, you know, like you say, it's it's laced with like the Melvins. Mm. But ultimately, I think that's essentially like a, at its core, it's a fucking it's it's fucking my Sharona by the knack, right? It is fucking <laughs> great yeah. that song, and it would be it would be a massive massive hit back in the kind of the garage rock revival days. It, 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 I'm just so convinced it would be, and you know everything on this record on this record is great i think you're absolutely right to to talk about sisters which is superb i think swamp thing at the end which yeah. is the longest song on the album which has got this achingly melodic chorus and this sort of thumping stabbing in and out rhythm again the backing vocals on this it feels like like so many sludge bands don't again you know a bit like metalcore like, i'm not that bothered about this type of music mm. right um and I think when I go, oh, it's just the same riff for ages. And it's just like, give me some fucking, if you're going to do that, give me some, and they, which they don't, by the way. Ohms don't just play the same riff over and over again. But when those such bands do like nine minutes and it's and they just go, you're like, that is a shit fucking, vibe. like if you're going to just fucking give me a load of boring, sludgy crap, at least try and, give me a fucking interesting vocal line as well. Mm. Come on, lads. Come on. And none of them fucking do. And Ohms do, right? They are a really, really great band. I think they might be the most overlooked band on the British rock scene in the past decade. Um, ooh, possibly. I mean, there's a fucking lot of good bands. I mean, the, yeah. the other one who I think kind of similar bedfellows, although they've got into a less kind of... Well, I Gone into a less sludgy but equally melodic uh, place would be Mallory Knox. Yeah, 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 big time, big time. The first time I ever saw Ohms was on a co-header with um, Boss Keloid. I would say they probably sit yeah. in a kind of how underrated they are. Although even then, I think Boss Keloid get more you kind see, of credence than Ohms do. Yeah, it's like, you Ohms see people great. talk. Yeah. Boss Keloid were in Metal Hammer's album like twice. I think now they've been in Metal Hammer's albums of the year like quite high up. And mm. I think you do get people who go like Boss Keloid are fucking brilliant. They're fucking brilliant. They're so overlooked and da 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 da. I don't think you get. I don't think Ohms get it as much. Like I thought Close was brilliant and it was in my top twenty albums of the year. I think it's got a great show. I think this is better than that. This I is think definitely this is yeah. for me. This is better than that. Um, they are playing a type of music I couldn't give two shits about and I still love it and they are doing it in a way that just, I just don't think sounds like anyone else it's the f- I'm gonna say it. I think this is my favorite album of the week oh fucking hell I'm Ooh. not just I'm not just a, this is a week where we've got Depeche Mode two, yeah. two of my favorite um rappers from the past decade doing an album together we've got Depeche Mode who are like literally would be in my top 10 favorite bands of all time ever regardless of genre you've got the 100 gex album that i wanted them to make mm. and i love that east chamber album as well and i think it's fucking brilliant but i think con- for consistency alone in you know like this is nine tracks and every single track is a fucking tune yeah yeah i i mean Oh, it it might be my favourite of the week as well. It, there's not a lot in it. I would say it is between this <laughs> and and maybe Eve's Tumor. And they're two very, very different mm. sides of the coin. Um, I think for me, they, I think Ohm's 
greatest quality is that they are able to be a sludge band who are also taught and expressive because as you say you know it does not outstay its welcome and it's not nine minute tracks that just kind of hang on one riff i think i think yeah this is smashing absolutely smashing i want to get it on lp as well because the uh, the artwork's really nice yeah it's uh it's good in it yeah it's Old good, pulp that. poster in it it's good yeah very very good rot by ohms is out now and i said it's the best time of the week which sort of ruins the final review which we're <laughs> going to talk about but we'll do this one quite quickly anyway because there's not loads to say about stowaway by sammy am the ninth studio album from the u.s melodic punk rock legends the first album of theirs since trips in 2011 so that is 12 years without an album from sammy am um sammy am sam quickly sam i am Green Sam, I am. Yeah. Um, I had only heard the name Samium quite recently when we did a Your Cult Pop on Bad Religion, if I remember rightly. I think I, I, I think, well. Jersey, Jersey's Best Dancers, wasn't it? Was it Jersey's Best Dancers? Okay, so it was on a Your Cult Pop. Yeah. That's the first time I'd heard of them. I was yet to listen to an album until this one. So I didn't really have any expectation beyond the fact that they would be a kind of late 90s melodic punk band and that is basically what we get here i think it's of you know pretty high quality i don't know how it stands up to their other stuff um i think lake speed maybe gave me the wrong impression as to how the rest of the album was going to go because that one is like pounding kind of skate punk style really hefty aggressive vocal uh, like um, melodic vocals and then the rest of it is a lot cleaner basically which is not a bad thing but for me listening to lake speed into crystallized i was like ah cool so we've basically got sort of um um, none of your businessman into normal people from Dosey Drews by Fucked Up. Maybe this is going to go to a few places across its runtime, which it doesn't. But I think it has some really, really good uh, hooks all over it. I think the couldn't wait for something good to happen, the uh, refrain that builds on Scout Knife is really nice. It feels anthemic. It You feel like you want to get involved. Um, even when they do lower energy stuff like Monterey Canyon, I think it's it's still decent when it's less in your face for me i think shutdown is a great exemplification of this album and i would assume not of the band generally because it has been so long since their last lp but ultimately it feels like a grown-up version of i'm gonna say it of like pop punk like it feels like where all the big bands who've gone on to fill arenas who would have been <laughs> around at a similar time or sort of starting out in a similar time still want to write like their teenagers and it's really uncomfortable and they've lost the nous for their songwriting this feels to me like there is some verve that comes from an honest place from people actually writing it of their age group i think this is a good album i think it's the one that i'm probably i prefer it to the miley album other than that i think i think it's the one i've got the least to really talk about on it because it's just a thing that i like but don't have loads to say about like that jersey's best dancers episode we did great album what more can I say than this rattles along and has great melodies? Yeah, I mean, look, this is classic sounding Sammy Am, essentially. If you're not familiar with this band and you listen to it and you think, oh, they're ripping off the men's singers, uh, the Wonder Years and the Hold Steady. Well, they've been doing that for a long time <laughs> since before those bands formed. Um, you know, I think you're right. Like, Lake Speed's really great, just a sort of definitive sound of this thing. And I think ultimately what you get and what you want is just a consistent version of Sammy Am doing the thing that they have done. Mm throughout their entire career if you're a fan of this band i'm a big fan of this band in uh, an era which i'll talk about in a second um in terms of highlights i think lights out little hustler has some really cool kind of grip mixed with melodic vocals i think stanley is lovely um 
love to hear a kind of melodic guitar part with a double time drum thing always sounds good mm. i think high wire sounds like a foo fighters song i think that could have been like late 90s early 2000s foo fighters if the foo fighters still sounded like this <laughs> i think would be a lot fucking nicer about their their recent output and i think that sort of says quite a lot about sammy am really is that you know they are able to still sound like what you want them to sound like i mean like i say look i got not got loads to say about this record if you haven't heard this band before and you feel like checking them out this is a good album to whack on to know what they sound like okay if you like this then clumsy you are freaking me out which is the one i think most people would say is their best and astray which for my money has not just some of the very best songs of their career but some of the very best songs made by any band in this entire genre oh wow i think they're albums you should definitely listen to this is a good example of the thing that sammy am do and if you haven't then maybe do yourself a favor and enjoy this excellent band if it happens to come on and you hear it i think you know definitely don't turn it off but yeah i mean it's great and if you do like it um go and listen to a song like mud hill or dull from astray because i think those songs are just absolutely all-time worldy fucking classics wow um i will definitely yeah. check out some of sam am's other stuff off the back of this because i do think this is a really good album i think it's just a sh- it's unfortunate for them that it has fallen on the week that it's fallen on where we've talked about some of the best albums of the year so far i would argue it's it's a it's a fucking tough one and also you know like like you say like a band who have been around since the early 90s and haven't released now for 12 years and are now releasing like something of a i mean would you i don't even know if they would class it as a comeback album because i don't believe that they actually split up and have reformed i think they just haven't been doing stuff mm. and they were never massive you know they were never an absolutely massive band they are just generally kind of workmanlike and good you know they're a good but it's that classic like you're just a good band yeah you're just a, you're just a good band and that's not particularly interesting to people and they play incredibly unspectacular unshowy music mm. you know but when they get it right they are fucking brilliant i think you know there are glimpses of them being very good on this record i don't think there's anything that you would say is of the quality of you know the stuff from you are freaking me out I, I, I don't think that but like they still sound like they still sound like sammy am and i don't think you can ask much more than that i won't from then. them yeah good don't uh so there you go the album is called stowaway and the band are called sammy am and they are really fucking good by the way if you've never listened to them before i might do that after i might put on the best of sammy am after we finish <laughs> this anyway that's it it's been nearly two and a half hours oh i said it was going to be a long one uh we'll be back next week don't know what we're doing don't really care none of your business we'll work it out we can work it out <laughs> we can work it out see you later uh we'll yeah we'll be back next week basically don't really know what we're doing fucking what a rubbish end to the show is that a rubbish end to the show uh, we, we it's can, not the best. We can manage worse. It's not just not the best, just is it? Cut off anyway, right here. Just like yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go over to patreon.com forward slash True Cult Pop, and you'll be able to listen to the sound of Northern England, nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, do that. Do that. <laughs> we talk about kill to this oh, and Alice in Chains as well. Like you know, if you need a small band that no one cares about, um, we're doing Alice in Chains as well. All right. Anyway, see you later, everyone. Bye. <laughs>